Fresh off some shocking title changes in Japan, a huge title change in TNA, and an, and a very very fun looking Elimination Chamber pay per view. We are here to break it all down for you. This is episode two hundred and thirty three of the No Spots Weekly Wrestling Podcast. I am DC's People's Champ. I am here as always with my tag team partner from the regular basement, the Dark Lord Sith himself. Sith, good afternoon and gilos Good afternoon, everyone, and hello, and welcome to the regular basement. Thanks for all followers, chatters, subscribers, lurkers, people listening to us on our audio platforms, and people finding us for the first time. A warm welcome to you all. I gotta say this off the bat. It's a rarity when we do this, but when Champ and I review Elimination Chamber as well as No Surrender, it does not involve a rewatch on my end, as both happened this weekend. And when we don't preview the pay-per-views in advance, I don't watch the pay-per-views. So this will be an intriguing pair of reviews. Champ, what's going to people's studios in the ABA? Good sir. Uh, not too much, not too much. Um, just, a, just a slow day here, watching uh, Law & Order S. BU marathon on USA Network and watching body cam videos on my phone. I've gotten down, went down that rabbit hole, and I'm stuck in there. So what do you, what do I want me to do? Anyway, we got a lot to cover on this episode of the podcast. Before we do that, though, want to say hello uh, to Heretic Ninja and of uh, also my homegirl Coley Nicole Defino from the Bema uh, in our Twitch chat, and also for those who are watching us on Twitch, make sure you go and drop a follow and put up a tab for N Nicole. She is very, very close uh, to hitting that affiliate, which means she'll be able to receive subs and bits and use emotes and stuff like that and channel points and stuff like that. She is right on the cusp. She just needs at least one more uh, screen that has at least eight concurrent viewers or more, and I think she'll hit that number. I remember when we were on that grind a couple of years ago, and then we had that live stream reactions where we had 12 people in here uh, at once and didn't go under 12, and we ended up hitting affiliate that very next morning and stuff like that so it is possible so make sure if you're on twitch make sure you give a follow to nicole defino that's nicole d-e-f-i-n-o uh on twitch and see if you can help her to get to that affiliate i think she deserves it she says she's just doing it for fun but i think she deserves to get a little something something out of that so make sure y'all show us some love now to the podcast we have a lot to cover here so in news and notes this week we're going to talk about uh the announcement that was made on rampage this past week regarding a former wwe superstar sibling who's going who's now joined the promotion officially we will also talk about that very same promotion uh same promotion who has announced the uh the location 
for their now annual co-op with New Japan. We'll talk about that as well as that very same promotion has hired someone new to join their back, them backstage and be a part of the creative process. We'll get into that. Plus, as you saw on NXT, Shotzi suffered an injury which caused her to be dropped out of qualifying for the, uh, for the elimination chamber. We found out how severe the injury is and what's going to happen with her and we have an update on the contract of a top cna star which is very surprising given circumstances that is in our news and notes next up in our new japan recap again we did the podcast last week i think we did the podcast last week's monday right uh yes we did Okay, so I was going to include the last night of Fantastic Mania, but since we did the podcast last Monday, I don't need to include that. But we are going to talk about the two nights in Sapporo for the New Beginning in Sapporo show, uh, which included many title changes and the finality of the uh, faction warfare between just five guys and Los Ingobernables de Japón. We'll get into all of that in the New Japan recap. In our third segment, we are going to talk about TNA's latest impact tna plus exclusive which was no surrender which saw the main event be not for the world title but for the x division title and we will also talk about elimination chamber which also saw a surprising main event but what i will explain is a very very worthy main event in our Mm -hmm. weekend review i will be driving the bus for the weekend review where we'll be covering raw all the way to collision and then we will have our final thoughts so ladies and gentlemen without any further ado referee you know what to do ring the bell all right let's start with news and notes and if you missed rampage this past week then you missed a pretty good a pretty decent show but part of that show there was a backstage promo that took place that involved uh soraya uh uh heidi cameron Hi, Haley Cameron, as well as Haley Cameron, as well as Renee Paquette. But during that promo in which uh, Soraya vented about the fact that she lost her friend uh, Ruby Soho recently, it was also announced in there, almost as sort of like a very, very interesting announcement that her brother, Zach Zodiac, known as Zach Zodiac, Zach Knight, is now All Elite and has officially joined the All Elite Wrestling roster. Uh, Zach, who's been who's primarily known on the UK independent scene, wrestled for companies like WAW, SWA, and Rev Pro, while also making appearances for New Japan Pro Wrestling and has made an appearance with WWE. Uh, but now will be part of Tony Khan's organization, especially he has already been on Ring of Honor TV, actually having a three-match winning streak so far, getting victories over the lights of the former librarian Peter Avalon, Aaron Solo, and John Cruz. But now he will be in, on AEW proper, it looks like. And it looks like they were going to run a storyline with him possibly being set up with Ruby Soho instead of Ruby being with Cool Hand Angela Parker. Now, this is another uh, pretty good signing from AEW coming off the heels of signing the bounty hunter Brian Keith and Queen Aminata, both uh, big standouts on the indies to uh, contracts with AEW. And there's an expectation that Tony Khan will sign uh, the likes of Mercedes Monet and Katsuchika Okada. Okada just finishing up his final uh, commitments in Japan this past weekend uh, before taking off on a free agency, possibly here in the United States. And Monet uh, has been healing from a severe ankle injury she suffered back early, early in 2023 uh, during the 
New Japan Strong Women's Championship Tournament where she ended up losing to Willow Nightingale. All right, so Seth, what do you think about this news that uh, now another member of the of the famous Knight Wrestling family is now All Elite? I like this signing. And Tony Khan is flying under the radar here. This wasn't announced with the All Elite graphic that happens on Twitter and on Instagram. It, no, it happened on an episode of Rampage the other night. And I think this is a really good signing. You need, you know, meat and bones where it comes to your wrestlers. This guy's a really good wrestler. You need, you, people need to go out and seek out his matches online because he can actually wrestle. This isn't a case of, oh, what some people have said, oh, he's only there because of his sister. No. Dude's got a lot of fucking talent. I think he's going to do really well. Champ, what's your take? Well, I mean, he's already kind of familiar to AEW fans. As you know, he was sitting front row when Soraya had her return match back uh, uh, back in 2000, uh, 2022 uh, against yeah. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Uh, so they were kind of familiar with him. But then, but uh, for those who are like wrestling purists, especially over in the United Kingdom, they know him very well. He also had a, has a very a pretty popular uh, Twitch channel uh, where he does a lot of things on there. He plays a lot of Dead by Daylight. So he was also known in those circles as well. So I think that this should uh, translate into him having some kind of success and being known in this in this space as well. Only time will tell. He's already gotten kind of some uh, eyes on him being on Ring of Honor TV and getting those three victories and stuff like that. So I think that this should be a good move for AEW moving forward. And I mean, the Knight, this Knight, the Knight family is a very well-known wrestling family in the UK. If you don't believe it, go watch the movie, uh, fighting with my, uh, what is it called? Fighting with my family fighting or something like family. that. Thank you. Fighting, fighting with, with my, my family, family, which, which, which was produced by Dwayne, the rock Johnson, uh, which, um, told the life story of Soraya coming up uh, in this wrestling family. It's all the way to getting to WWE and ended up winning the Divas Championship her first night on the main roster after WrestleMania way back when. So make sure you check that out. It's a it's a pretty good movie too, by the way. I actually I actually watched it a couple times. It's a good movie. So make sure you check yeah, it out. It's a good one. Anyway, anyway, so let's move on and stick with AEW here and a new. Uh, uh, an event that has now become an annual tradition for uh, the All Elite Wrestling promotion, uh, working with New Japan Pro Wrestling Forbidden Door, it has been announced that their location for 2024 will be in New York. Ash, Arthur Ashe Stadium is going to be the site for this year's uh, New Japan and AEW Forbidden Door 2024. This was reported on by Andrew Zarian on Twitter on Thursday, stating that the location will be there, and but they haven't announced what date the, the uh, pay-per-view will take place. Now, many people may be familiar with Ash Stadium and their relationship with All Elite Wrestling. Uh, they have held their Grand Slam Grand Slam special events for Dynamite and Rampage the last three Septembers, having had some pretty great crowds there. The first year they had some issues with uh, technology, but they've since improved on that and things like that. They also, um, it is also, um, this report 
actually comes after PW Insider confirmed that AEW would be uh, returning to that arena, but as a pay-per-view event as opposed to a Grand Slam. And it's not clear whether they will continue to do Grand Slam at Arthur Ashe Arena in September like they have been the last three years. Uh, as you know, the, for the last two Forbidden Door pay-per-views have taken place in Chicago in 2022 and then last year in uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So now with this one, there's the likelihood of not only a working a working show with AEW and New Japan, but there's also the possibility of CMLL being thrown into the fray, given the working relationship that has been growing between CMLL and AEW in the early parts of this year. Sith, what do you think about this year's Forbidden Door location? I like it. But I have some advice for AEW, and this is key. This goes not only to your pay-per-views, but also promoting your TV tapings, Dynamite, Rampage, and Collision. Forbidden Door is going to be in New York City, the number one media market in the United States. It would be foolish not to appear on some of the local stations that are out there the week before tickets go on sale to promote the hell out of this or the, or the week that tickets go on sale to promote the hell out of it. It's something that AEW really needs to do here because this is a big deal and you're holding it in the number one media market where it comes to radio and television in the United States. I think if marketed well and not, not just relying on social media for the most part, as well as AEW programming, this could be big for the company. Forbidden Door is a lot of fun to watch. Champ and I have watched both Forbidden Doors and live reacted to them. Those are fun cards. And imagine if CMLL is in the mix, Champ, as well as New Japan. Ooh. The possibilities are endless. Champ, I yield to you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the possibilities are endless, but also there is the, the caveat that there are a lot of people on the AEW roster who, if CMLL were involved, would have to would not be a part of those cards uh, as having connections to AAA and things of that nature. So I think that's where it's going to become a slippery slope is, you know, you these last two Forbidden Door pay-per-views, you've had people who are part of, triple a or have had connections with triple a not be a part of it, but then you include cmll and then you really are going to shut them out from being a part of it and you kind of you know you don't limit yourself in terms of who you can book on that show but you take away uh important pieces and stuff like that so that's my work yeah. but other than that i think it's a, i think it's a big thing for for aew to have a pay-per-view in june in new york uh for uh an event of this magnitude you get you bring in some big stars from new japan and i mean i think you could have a blow it up blow it over blow the roof off type of environment with with this in this environment so i i can't wait to see when it's gonna be and just know that you know me sith and most likely sage will be on the live react to it whenever it comes out so make sure you keep an eye on that all right, we're staying with AEW. I'm telling you, AEW's made quite a bit of news this week. Uh, backstage, they have really added to their to their 
to their rankings in the backstage part as much as they've been doing with the on-screen in-ring talent. As this week, according to a report confirmed by Sports Illustrated, former senior writer for WWE Jennifer Peppermint has signed on to become the vice president of content development for All Elite Wrestling. Now, this announcement comes literally a week after she was it was announced that she had departed her role as a senior writer for WWE, where she primarily focused on the women's division when it came to being a writer. She was also uh, a person, she's also looking to be the personal writer for Mercedes Monet, also furthering speculation that Monet has either going, is either going to sign or has already signed a contract with All Elite Wrestling and plans to debut on March the 13th for the big business TV special of Dynamite in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, Peppermint has quite a resume on her under her belt. Uh, she spent seven years with the WWE as a, uh, leaving as a senior writer. She has won three Emmy Awards uh, during her time writing uh, writing soap operas such as the As the World Turns, One Life to Live, and After Forever. Three daytime Emmy Awards, and she also. Um, has done uh again did extensive work with the women's division writing for them in wwe adam pierce went on twitter on february the 15th to wish peppermint the best after it was announced that she was take she was leaving wwe and then almost a week later she is now all elite and it looks like she is going to be helping to push out content for live shows for AEW as well as helping to work with the women's division which has been a highly contentious issue and topic when it comes to talking about AEW is the booking of the women's division well it looks like now they're bringing in someone who for the last couple of years has done pretty well with booking WWE's women's division uh before her uh departure so Seth what do you got to say about this hiring Net to Tony Khan. Pay attention to what this woman tells you. She has experience where it comes to creative, especially where it comes to developing women. Her ideas may seem a little too much for Tony, but it's going to be for the best where it comes to AEW. Look at the strides that were made over the last several years where it comes to WWE and the women's division. It's not what it was 10 years ago. Anyone who says it's getting that way is absolutely delusional. But Tony needs to start listening to people like this. So that way where it comes to creative, you know, that end of things, things get a little bit more sharper for both the men and the women. I think this is a solid pickup. Do I think Mercedes is signed or is about to be signed? Who knows? You know, the wind blows for some people that she signed. Other people are saying that it's not etched in stone yet. So my attitude is just wait and see what happens next month when it comes to her. But this signing... Fucking huge champ. All right, so Tony Khan put out a statement to Soap Opera Network after the news was released of her joining the company. Quote, adding Jennifer Peppermint's brilliant mind to the AEW team opens the door for exciting new ideas and will help us build upon the 
incredible stories currently developing on the road to AEW Revolution across our three weekly shows on TBS and TNT. And the effects of Jennifer's arrival at AEW will be felt for many years in the future. We were thrilled to welcome her today, and I look forward to her creativity and collaboration with our team across the board and what will be AEW's biggest year yet and beyond. Now, part of that announcement, it was announced that she would be reporting directly uh, to Tony Khan, and she will work beside Tony Khan. Uh, in this role so Tony Khan still will have the final say in terms of booking decisions as has always been the case since AEW's inception back in 2019 but I think that with her expertise and the, the experience that she has and the creativity that she has shown I think that Tony Khan will value her what she has to say and may base a lot of his booking decisions when it comes to the women's division on what she has to say it's in his best interest to do so. Otherwise, he will continue to get vilified on social media and on podcasts across the lexicon about his treatment of his his female talent. So I think that he better heed whatever advice and booking ideas that she brings to the table because otherwise he's going to look absolutely foolish and he's going to look sexist and it's going to continue to put cash that's a dark, dark cloud over a division that has such a talented pool, roster pool, but it's not really getting the showcasing that they so richly desire. Okay, so yeah. staying with the women, but going to WWE. And if you watched NXT last week, you know that first off, that NXT was recorded two weeks ago in preparation for members of the roster, both for members of the of the WWE roster to fly over to Australia to get ready for the Elimination Chamber Premium Live event that took place this past Saturday. Well, during the taping for the se second week of shows, on the week that they were going to Australia, Shotzi challenged Lyra Valkyria for the NXT Women's Championship. There was a sequence during the match where Shotzi went and did a little DDT off the apron and landed awkwardly on the floor, ended up hurting her knee, and ended up having to be taken out of the matchup and deemed not were able to continue. It would lead to Lash Legend coming in to do, create a second championship matchup in which Lyra Valkyria was able to successfully defend her championship. Well, Shotzi herself has now confirmed how serious the injury was and the possible time frame for her return. Uh, on Instagram, in a very lengthy post on Instagram, she announced that she uh, sustained an, a torn ACL in her knee, which means she is going to be out of action for at least nine months to up to one year. The post said, quote, I tore my ACL, which means I will be out of action for about nine months. Thank you to everyone who has checked up on me. I am so sorry if I haven't responded. I am just extremely devastated and angry. Some of you know I have been through a lot the last few years and it has been so hard to keep up with what I think is expected of me. And honestly, my mental health had been at an all-time low. But I pushed through and I was feeling motivated and like myself again. I was hoping to go to NXT to prove myself again, earn some respect, build back my confidence, and start putting the heartache from the past two years behind me. Now, that post was accompanied by a photo of Shotzi laying in a hospital bed, meaning that she was most likely getting ready for uh, surgery on the said injury. Now, we all know that uh, the injury bug has been very, very heavy in WWE, especially on NXT uh, with uh 
what's her name? With Cora J going down with an yeah. ACL injury just a, a few weeks ago. And then, of course, uh, Charlotte Flair going down with an ACL injury, among other uh, injuries in that leg uh, back in December of 2023. So the injury bug has been heavy. And, of course, we know about CM Punk tearing his uh, bicep, tearing his tricep during the Royal Rumble. And, uh, Seth Rollins dealing with a knee injury, though he announced that he will be medically cleared in a couple of days uh, and things like that. So the injury bug is really hitting WWE hard, but they're still pressing forward. Seth, your your reaction to the news that Shotzi, who was looking like she was about to make a comeback, is now going to be on the shelf for at least nine months. This sucks. I mean, there's no way to look at it, really. Um at all this absolutely sucks for Shotzi sucks for the fans as well because Shotzi is one of those utility players on your roster that's young that has a lot of potential that you know I admit the booking hasn't been good for her on the main roster but when she was on NXT initially she was huge on there and people fucking loved it so healing wishes, prayers, vibes, everything out to Shotzi. Get well soon. We meet. We definitely want to see you back 100% healthy and ready to go, champ. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, she is... She she definitely was looking at a, a resurgence because it seems like anybody who's been on the main roster for quite a while and then heads back to NXT, they tend to get like a nice resurgence in their career mm-hmm. to get newfound confidence. They find new rivalries to have and they just end up have re- falling in love with wrestling once again and stuff like that. And it looked like Shotzi with this, I'm pretty sure she wasn't going to win the title, but she was going to put up a hell of a fight. And then she was going to go on to face, uh, she was going to go on to face Tiffany Stratton in the uh, qualifier for the uh, yeah EC, for EC, Elimination Chamber. But because of the knee injury, that did not happen. So hopefully uh, she can bounce back, but she'll be taking nine months to take care of herself. So hopefully she does, you know, take care of herself and things of that nature. All right, we closing off news and notes, going to TNA and still reeling off the news of the firing of Scott Damore. Uh, there was a big surprising update when it comes to the contract situation of one of its top stars, a former TNA world champion. Uh, that would be none other than Josh Alexander. Alexander was one of several superstars who took to t- took took to Twitter and put out an emoji of an hourglass running low on sand, almost. In- indicating hey i'm getting out of here soon so make sure you understand that well it turns out that tna is not going to let that happen because they have exercised alexander's one year option on his contract meaning that his deal will now be up on saint valentine's day 2025 as opposed to him being done with the promotion last week now this report comes from fightful select saying that you know make making mention that so it says that you know tna when tna announced that uh, alexander's contract with the promotion had been extended it was not due to the two sides coming to a new deal it was because there was a one-year option and tna decided to exercise that which would have allowed which if they didn't exercise it would have allowed him to hit an already crowded 2024 free agent pool um so it's saying that even though tna 
you know, exercise that option despite not negotiating a new deal with Josh Alexander. Alexander will still continue to work hard for the promotion and will fulfill his uh, contract obligations as as noted. Uh, as we know, he was involved in the matchup this past weekend at No Surrender, and he continues to be uh, on TNA, but he did want to uh, have options, keep his options open and wanted and asked for the option not to be picked up so that he could survey the landscape when it comes to free agent prospects but unfortunately tna did not do that and they decided to exercise that option so sith this is a very very interesting scenario that weeks after scott demore is let go and they put in a new president tna just decide, like anthem just decides just the hell with it we're just going to exercise the option without giving him the option of wanting to go out in the free agency i don't think i like that very much but i want to get your thoughts i don't like doing that it's one thing if the option is extended and there isn't controversy hanging around. There's a dark controversial cloud right now hanging over TNA in regards to the to Scott Demore being gone and who helped train Josh Alexander. Scott Demore did. I admire Josh for saying, hey, I'm going to fulfill my commitments here. No problem. But deep down, if I'm Josh, I'm a bit pissed because I wasn't even allowed to explore the market. Wasn't allowed to talk to New Japan. Wasn't allowed to talk to MLW, WWE, AEW, etc. I wasn't allowed to talk to any of these promotions. Y'all just picked me up like that. Out of fear that I was going to go elsewhere. So I understand where Anthem's coming from. They're scared of losing one of their top guys. But the flip side of the coin, and I'll address this a little bit more in final thoughts tonight. Not everyone that has a contract up is under, has an option attached to it. Mm -hmm. This is going to be very intriguing over the next, next two years or so. Who stays? Who goes? Champ? Yeah, I, I I think that this is not a very... I mean, I understand the move. It's a business move on Anthem's part because, like you just mentioned, they don't want to lose a top star like Josh Alexander. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you got to give them the option. You can't yeah. just say, oh, you have an option attached, we're going to exercise it. You got to at least give them... At least talk to them, have a negotiation, discuss it. Don't just do it uh, unilaterally and then expect them to be happy about it. Now, yes, Josh Alexander is a professional, and he's going to be a professional about this, but they better be glad that he is a professional because they could have had some hothead who would have went on social media and just absolutely slandered the company for them doing that. So they're lucky that Josh Alexander is a professional and is going to, com- going to fulfill all his requirements and all his commitments and things of that nature until his contract is up next year. But they got they can't pull that kind of move with anybody or everybody, honestly. And if they do, they're going to have a mutiny on their hands. And then TNA, after this reboot back to the original, could see could go under because Anthem's not spending a lot of money on the promotion itself. And so they need to do something to make sure that they don't lose it all because they can fuck around and lose it all. And I mean, it'll be their own fault, honestly. So hopefully this situation works itself out. Josh Alexander continues to do great work in, in CNA. And then next year we'll be talking about him being a free agent in 2025. 
uh, unless things drastically change with TNA or money gets better, at which way maybe he doesn't want to leave. Maybe he does want to stay. We'll see. Anyway, uh, before we move on from news and notes to New Japan recap, just a couple things from our uh, guy, Heretic Ninja, who is a huge TNA slash Impact guy. Uh, he said that Josh Alexander would have been a great fit in WWE had TNA not done that. I think he'd have been a better fit in New Japan than anywhere else, honestly. And we've already seen that. He's made several appearances uh, for New Japan Pro Wrestling, representing Impact Wrestling. And I think that his style, his hard-hitting technical style would be a great fit for the Japanese strong style of New Japan. I would love to see Josh Alexander be in the G1. I would love to see him in the G1. I think he would do phenomenal in the G1. Uh, next up, he said, I still say that Moose and Jordan leave within the year. Moose said he has a five-year deal, so he's there for the time being. Yeah, so Moose just resigned. Like, he literally just resigned at the end of 2023. So he's there until at least 2028. So there's, he's going nowhere. But Jordan Grace, I think she just, I don't know how long her deal is that she resigned to, re, to jo rejoin the company after she took a leave. But I don't think it's very long. And I think that knowing that this, this, again, these individuals who call themselves businessmen, they don't have a wrestling mindset. They don't have a wrestling mindset. No. So they need to think of the rest. They don't have a wrestling business mindset, I should say. I don't, you know. So I think they need to bring, have a person in there that can deal with that sort of thing. Otherwise, it's going to fall apart. That's why anyway. I kept saying when Scott was fired, I'm like, and the replacement was a guy with no pro wrestling experience on that side of the business. All I thought was WCW 2000. You had a lot of figureheads calling yeah. the shots that wanted nothing to do with the product at all. I'm hoping and praying things work, but. You know. Yeah, I, I had this. I had the same visions of WCW in its final year and a half of existence that they had wrestling people on the ground, but they were getting they were getting their intel and their advice and their suggestions from non wrestling heads uh, who didn't know a thing about the wrestling business, and it just led to the utter downfall of WCW. And I think TNA, unless the, they can find a way to ride the ship, they're on a collision course with the same fate as WCW, and they'll end up getting swallowed up and bought out by either wwe or aew or something like that and then we'll be we'll be sitting here asking what if and yep. um you know things like that anyway uh we're going to continue on and talk about some new japan and we the main focus on this week's new japan recap is the two nights in sapporo for the new beginning in, in sapporo two-night show which saw title fight friday which saw five championship matches uh take place on that car and then saturday saw the culmination of faction warfare between los ingobernables de japon and just five guys so friday in hokkaido in the snowy hokkaido it began with Tom tomoya making his uh in-ring debut for New Japan, teaming with Toroyano to take on Shomakato and Tomoaki Homa. Uh, Toma, Tomoya was able to get the victory for his team. It was 7 minutes and 10 seconds. It was this match time. Then our opening matchup saw Zack Sabre Jr. fresh off of his victory 
over Daniel Bryant just a while, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, he took on Yuji Nagata in what was a technical, nice technical matchup that saw a cross arm breaker spell mm -hmm. victory for Zack Sabre Jr. to get the victory at seven minutes and 56 seconds. House of Torture was dead in action. They will be very prominent on this show in the title matches that will take place later on. Ren Narita using the push-up bar and then the double cross gets the victory for the, his House of Torture team of himself, Yujiro Takahashi and Yoshinobu Kanemaru over Bolton Oleg, Ryusuke Taguchi, and Togi Makabe. Uh, United Empire and the Chaos went at it in eight-man tag. It was turned into an eight-man tag after it was announced that Hinari was still not medically cleared to compete after suffering so some sort of a rupture in his head which caused him to bleed profusely during that dog collar ma uh, cage match uh, that took place on February the 11th uh, so he was taken out and so it turned into an eight-man tag Okada was able to get the Rainmaker on Callum Newman to get the victory for his team of Tomohiro Ishii Yoshihashi and Yo Goto was supposed to be a part of it but he sat out but he was still present and accounted for for the most part uh, the team on the United Empire side was Jeff Cobb the KLBW 2024 champion, Great O'Connor, and Francisco Kira, along with Callum Newman. Uh, the final preview match for just five guys versus LIJ went the way of LIJ with Shingo Takagi nailing the pump nailing two pumping bombers to take down Taka Michinoku and then we would get into our title matches for title fight Friday and it began with the fourth defense of the IWGP women's championship Mayu Iwatani the third IWGP world women's champion took on Mina Shirakawa in what was a banger of a matchup between these two very, very strong women. In 12 minutes and 28 seconds, though, the two-step dragon suplex from Mayu Iwatani spelled victory and her fourth successful title defense as the women's champion over Mina Shirakawa. And, and again, a great matchup, something you need to go and watch. It was really fun to watch. Then the next matchup pissed me off to the highest level of passivity. El Desperado, in his second defense as the 94th IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion against Show, who for the entirety of not only the New Beginning Tour, but also during the Fantastic Mania Tour, had possession of the physical belt, even though he was not recognized as the champion. Well, the match started with Despy finally getting physical control of his belt and getting his hands on Show. The match was fine for what it was, but it ended in a countout, which is one of the rarest things to happen in a championship match because in new japan countouts and disqualifications mean titles change hands and so because of a countout because at 18 despy got choked out by red narita with the ref not being able to see it show is now the 95th iwgp junior heavyweight champion and i said i say it again i said it before and i'll say it again that pissed me off because of the way it ended anyway as if you couldn't be even more pissed off after that result. Then you get Evil successfully defending the Never Openweight Championship over Shota Umino with Evil at 15 minutes and 45 seconds. It was his first defense in as the 43rd Never Openweight Champion. So Evil remains the champion. Shota Umino once again continues the, the narrative that he can't win the big one. So there you go. Then in our semifinal, in what was a shocking result, in 8 minutes and 53 seconds, Matt Riddle making his New Japan in-ring debut in Japan challenges and becomes the third 
New NJPW World TV Champion defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi with the Bro Stone, formerly known as the Bro Derek, uh, now known as the Bro Stone, and now he is the champion. Yes, Matt Riddle in only his second ever New Japan match in his first in mainland Japan becomes the New Japan World TV Champion, and afterwards in backstage comments said he wanted to challenge Zack Sabre Jr., to defend it so he can defend his title against Zack Sabre Jr. But Zack Sabre Jr. had other ideas about another member of TMDK possibly getting that shot, alluding to Bad Dude Tito, who is a part of MLW, which is Matt Riddle's now home base, MLW. So they have a matchup already scheduled one on one. That match could be for the New Japan World TV Championship. And then in our main event, in a hard hitting 23 minute and seven second affair, Nick Nemeth, making his in-ring debut for New Japan proper, went up against David Philly, making his first defense as the very first IWGP Global Heavyweight Champion. It was a hard-hitting affair. No interference. It was all up on the up and up. And Nick Nemeth, with the Danger Zone, becomes the second IWGP Global Heavyweight Champion, and then afterwards he would say he would say that he was going to defend that championship anytime, anywhere, and against anyone. Uh, he also requested that he be in a tag match with Hiroshi Tanahashi the next night. Unfortunately, Tanahashi during his TV title defense that was unsuccessful, he suffered an injury to his ankle. He was pulled from the Saturday show, and he was replaced in that Saturday show. Uh, he would be replacing that Saturday show by none other than uh, Toriano, who pulled double duty on Saturday. He was in the Frontier Zone match that was during the pre-show uh, where Tomoya and him defeated Katsuya Marishima and Tomaki Homa. Our opening matchup would see House of Torture fall this time. Shota Umino would use Death Rider to get the victory, pinning Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Umino was joined by El Desperado, Togi Makabe, Yo, and Bolton Oleg. Uh, the Chaos, uh, the, the five-man team from Chaos defeated the five-man team from United Empire. Okada once again getting the Rainmaker on Callum Newman, so he leaves New Japan with a victory under, with two straight victories under his belt. Three if you count his February 11th triumph over Hiroshi Tanahashi and his final singles match in New Japan. The United Empire side had uh, Callum Newman, Jeff Cobb, Great O'Connor, Francisco Kira, and alongside them was the new uh, New Japan World TV champion, Matt Riddle. In our third matchup, it was GOD versus GOD. Uh, Hikaleo and, and El Fantasmo, the strong openweight tag champions against the legendary, historic, seven-time former IWGP heavyweight tag team champions, Tangelo and Tama Tonga. It was a very emotional matchup, hard-hitting, but it would be Hikaleo laying out Tama Tonga with a godsend to get the victory. Tamatanga it would be an emotional, uh, it would be an emotional post-match with Tamatanga there. At the line mark, same thing with Okada, surrounded by his chaos mates. Uh, both would speak, and then they would both leave, and they are now off to free agency, possibly back to the United States. Uh, Nick Nemeth did not get his tag match with Hiroshi Tanahashi. He did say with Ryusuke Taguchi. They would defeat Gato and David Finley in 7 minutes and 43 seconds uh, to get the victory. And then afterwards, Nick Nemeth... Even though he, he said he didn't get his uh, request approved for a tag match with Hiroshi Tanahashi, challenged Hiroshi Tanahashi and would put up the Global Heavyweight Championship against him, to which Hiroshi Tanahashi would say, and I quote, Okay, I agree with you. 
So Hiroshi Tanahashi and Nick Nemeth is in the is in the works, possibly for probably probably for the either the anniversary show or for the show in Chicago, Windy Shooting Riot. We'll have to see. Then we would get our five singles matches to end the faction warfare between LIJ and Just Five Guys. It opened up with Bushi uh, getting a tap-out victory over Takamichi Noku at 9 minutes and 13 seconds to put LIJ on the board first. Uh, Just Five Guys would then get on the board with a big-time victory for Doki with the suplex De La Luna over the former multiple-time IWGP junior heavyweight champion Hiromu Takahashi. Then afterwards, it would be Taichi that would get the victory with the day with a multiple dangerous backdrops, including one with the bridge to defeat Shingo Takagi to give just five guys a two to one edge going into two very crucial matches the semifinal, which was a hair versus hair match, and then the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match between Naito and Sonata in the hair versus hair match, which was a minute and 40 seconds away from being a time limit draw, Yoda Suji with a sudden Gene Blaster spear would lay out Yuya Yurimura, get the three count, and get the victory, and would begin to shave Yuya's hair. Yuya would then take his own, take the clippers to shave it himself, and then leave while Yoda Suji stood in the ring in victory. And then in our main event for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, Tetsuya Naito in his first defense as the eighth champion would get an inside cradle, not Destino, which he did hit in this matchup, but he was able to get a flash pin on an inside cradle to pin Sonata to get the victory, 24 minutes and 5 seconds to retain the championship. Then afterwards, he would have a playful moment with uh, Okada going after one of his bitter, one of his best rivals before they went out the door. Okada was doing commentary uh, for, on the Japanese announce table before uh, this happened. Happened. So, but then Naito would be uh, we joined in backstage comments by show as it would be made official that at the anniversary show with the return of the tradition of, of the heavyweight and junior heavyweight ti title holders going up against each other one on one, that show will be going up against Naito. And show was already backstage waiting for Naito, bragging and saying, Hey, you're getting the chance to challenge me and this, that, and the third. So that's going to be happening and things like that. But that is your New Japan recap. Uh, the next show that's coming up for uh, New Japan will be the anniversary show on March the 6th, uh, which we'll see again show and and Tetsuya Naito go at it in a, in a traditional matchup between the world heavyweight champion and the junior heavyweight champion. Also on the 6th, that will be the day that we will record the preview for the new japan cup myself and sage as we will be covering the new japan cup from march the 7th all the way up to the end which will be on march the 20th in niigata uh, which where the finals will be we have not yet gotten announcements on when the uh on who's going to be in it that'll come in the next couple of weeks but make sure you pay attention to this podcast as during new, next new next couple of new japan recaps whenever that is announced we will get that information to you all right. We bring the sip back in and let's talk about what happened this weekend. Yeah. This weekend, this weekend, oh, we have a lot. We had a lot happen. Uh, but before we get into that, we had a lot going on in our Twitch chat. Holy crap. I wasn't even paying attention yeah. to the Twitch chat. My bad. Uh, all right. 
so we have Hector here. We haven't seen Hector in a while. That was you're great to see you, my friend. Um, yep. let's see. He, uh, Danielson match was on New Japan TV this week, this past Thursday. Yeah. Okay. So I'm. I got to watch it live and not really live, but on demand on New Japan. It was a good match. So I'm glad he put it on access. Uh, New Japan is crazy these days. What a time to be alive. What's up, Sexy Panda? Uh, what else we got here? Hector's watching NASCAR. Okay, here Since we go. He's not watching anything right now. He'll watch something after the show. What he's watching, God only knows. All right, to be honest, my Sunday night is all right. Getting caught up. Okay. Let's see. What else we got here? Naito's gonna kill him. Naito is gonna kill Show. Yeah, but we know, but we know, we know Heck, House of Torch is gonna get involved, and then Lij is gonna get involved. So we know that's gonna happen. Uh, but yeah, Her- Heretic Ninja said I-, I-, I watched the replay. There was no fucking way I was getting up at four a.m. for Elimination Chamber. My man, listen, I got up at six. I was up at six, but I knew I was already an hour. It was the show was already an hour in, so I said, mm-hmm. "Nah, I'm gonna go watch SmackDown. I'm gonna go watch Rampage. I'm gonna watch the New Japan show because the New Japan show started at twelve midnight on the East Coast because it was two p.m. Yeah. Japan time. So I watched all three of those shows. By the time I got done watching those three shows, Elimination Chamber had long since been over. So I said, "Okay, boom, I can go in not only watch the pre-show but then watch the main show as well." So there you go, and uh, sexy panda thinks you look ha- handsome. Uh, Mike, thank you. All right, let's talk about no surrender and elimination chamber. No surrender took place on Friday night. It was a TNA Plus exclusive, which you can also see on Trilla TV as well as YouTube for Ultimate Insiders. Uh, it was a very stacked card that took place at the Alario Center in Louisiana. A nice 10-match card, two matches on the kickoff show, and then eight on the main show. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it. We're going to talk about the pre-show matches as one to for the interest of time. Mm-hmm. So our pre-show matches saw the Rascals get a victory over Speedball Mountain. That's Mike Bailey and Trent Seven by pinfall at 8 minutes and 12 seconds. And then the system, uh, prior to their involvement in the first ever No Surrender match, they were able to take down the intergalactic jet setters of Kevin Knight and Kushida, the system represented by Eddie Edwards and Brian Myers, who was also joined by Alicia Edwards. Sith, what were your thoughts on our two kickoff matches to get things started for no surrender. Okay, the more that Bailey and Seven work together, the more you get good vibes that these guys could be contenders in the tag team division alongside the Rascals. And I like how Macklin got involved in the finish of Speedball Mountain versus the Rascals. System versus Intergalactic Time Splitters. Although I do shit on the system being Honor No More 2.0, the team of Edwards and Myers is still a good one to watch. They worked really well with their competition in Kushida and Kevin Knight. Your first match went 8 minutes, 12 seconds. Your second match... Eight minutes, 45 seconds, but both really good countdown matches. Champ. Yeah, and I mean, the system getting the victory in that in the kickoff match really like set the tone for what would happen with the uh, No Surrender match later on. Then we yep. would open the show with the match that was now stipulated to determine a number one contender for the TNA World Championship at Sacrifice between Eric Young and Frankie Kazarian. This was a good back and forth matchup, but it saw EY get a quick flash pin on, uh, on, on Kaz to get the victory, the match with 9 minutes and 23 seconds, Eric Young is now your number one contender for the TNA World Championship. He will face the winner of the No Surrender Match and Sacrifice. After the match, though, Frankie Kazarian showed what type of a heel he was, 
beating the absolute crap out of a referee before finally getting chased away by referees and security. Uh, Sith, what did you think about this opening contest? These guys have known each other for two decades, so when you can get them in the ring together, where it was like the other night as opponents or as tag team partners, magic fucking happens here. This was a fun opening match for the main card, and it's a match that you should all seek out to see two vets giving in it all, and post-match-wise, Kazarian is such a dick. Um, 9.23 is your match time. Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed the matchup. It was really good for what it was. It's just that, you know, Kaz, people don't realize Kaz is a very, very competent heel. He knows yes. how to get heat, and he showed it at, in that post-match and things like that. So I really am going to enjoy what he's going to do moving forward. So kudos to Ka for Kazarian for, for what he did, and kudos to Eric Young getting a shot at the world title and things like that. Next up, we will see the third and final match in the best of three series between ABC and the grizzled young veterans for the, a uh, the CNA World Tag Team Championship, and this match went 17 minutes and 48 oh. seconds. That was the third longest match of the night we'll get to what was the fourth longest and the top two in just a bit but this is the third longest match of the night and it was well worth it with the abc managing to hit the the uh art of finesse and the full combination to get the victory and retain the tna world tag team championship sith your thoughts on this match this was a solid close to the three match series here and both teams raised mm -hmm. the bar the TNA Tag Team Division big time. ABC continues their reign, but that said, it's not like GYB didn't come out. They proved why they deserve to be in the discussion of what happens down the road. This was just poetry in motion. And champ, I want the Grizzled Young Vets to be in World Tag League. Imagine. I would like that. I would like for them to be in World Tag League. I think they, would, I think they would fare. Then taking on well. some of the tag teams that you and I would call among the best in the world over in New Japan. Oh, God, that would be great. 1748, your match time. Bishamon versus uh, Crystal Young Veterans would sound like a good matchup. I'm not going to lie to you. All right, let's keep it moving here and let's talk about what was the shortest <laughs> match of the night. And it would be PCO and Khan and what was be a big beefy men slapping meat affair, but it ended up being a three minute and 49 second disqualification after Khan brought in a chair and used it on PCO. But they wouldn't end there because then they would basically brawl with each other for at least five more, five or so more minutes uh, before finally Khan handcuffed him to uh, to the ring entrance, the uh, entrance ray, and then hit a chair, kicked the chair that was in his face, and that was it. It was just that it ended just like that. And it was like, okay, that's how we're in it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Anyway, your thoughts. <sighs> People are going to shut all over this match, but it did its job as a filler for a story that will continue throughout the next month or so. Not even mad about how it ended. You wanted a match that was going to lead to more matches with these two giant monsters beating the fuck out of each other. Not bad for what it was. Three minutes, 49 seconds, your match time. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to shit on it because, like you said, it did what it had to do. And plus, it establishes this rivalry to continue even more. I'm pretty sure they're going to go with uh, some kind of match, stipulate a stipulated match or something like that, where it could be no rules, at which point then they can just go absolutely ape shit on each other and stuff like that. So yeah. I think that, you know, putting these two men with the animosity they have into a regular 
tag into a regular tag match, I think was not the best, but it was the best way to establish the feud and then use this disqualification to further it. So, you know, do I'm 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 cool with it. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Anyway. Let's move on and talk about the match for the TNA Knockouts World Tag Team Championship. Uh, this match between Decay defending against MK Ultra in their contracted rematch. Uh, this match was seven minutes and twenty-seven seconds. It was a very much back and forth affair, but in a shock, after managing to get free and get her one-on-one. Masha Slamovich was able to hit Rosemary with the snowplow, and MK Ultra are now two-time TNA Knockout World Tag Team Champions. And then they went full-on heel and attacked Decay after the matchup before Jody Threat and Danny Luna chased them off. So it looks like Luna and Threat are going to be the next challengers for MK Ultra and the World Ta- Knockouts World Tag Team Championship. Sith, what did you think about this matchup? Here we go again with more transitional hot potato title reigns. Look, I get that you have a cool baby face team of Danny Luna and Jody Threader on the horizon as contenders, but as good as this match was, I wanted Decay to be with the championships just a little bit longer and not being a hot potato victim title reign wise because they just won the belts at hard to kill. So this was a five week title reign and done. Good match though. As you know, Decay as well as MK Ultra, they've worked well together in the past, continue to do so. 727 your match time. Yeah, I gotta agree with the whole transitional thing here. Like, why put the titles on Decay only to put them back on MK Ultra? Uh, because you started a program with you had a program going on between them and Luna and Threat. Uh, I just think that that's kind of an injustice to Decay that you bring them back with their original. M- original gimmicks after they were the death dolls for yeah. however long and they were you know things like that they lost the titles in death dolls then you bring them back as okay have them you know win them at heart to kill only to lose them a month not a little over a month later i think that's you know that's bad that's a bad form and that kind of puts your women's tag division into a bit of a of a tizzy having that happen so mm-hmm. we'll see what happens hopefully we don't see mk drop them to luna and threat maybe Luna and threat end up losing, and then we see um you know another tag team emerge that could take down MK Ultra. Yeah. All right, in what was the fourth longest match of the night? It was the in ring debut for Simon Gotch. It was the pay per view in ring debut for Simon Gotch. Mm-hmm. He had made his official in ring debut just a night prior on TNA Impact. He would go up against jo- the aforementioned Josh Alexander we talked about earlier on in News and Notes. Uh, it was a really, really good matchup. It went 16 minutes and 43 seconds, and it would be Josh Alexander with the C4 spike that would get the victory over Simon Gotch, showing why he is known as TNA's world beater, beating the man who says that if it wasn't for him, he wouldn't have got his contract back in 2018. So there was already a story to this, and here we are. So Josh Alexander versus Simon Gotch, your thoughts, Sith? Uh, Josh Alexander continues to be the one of the workhorse hands in TNA that feels like a big deal, and he doesn't need the title. Okay, Simon Gotch looked fucking great in the ring. And honestly, Gotch looked good here in this singles match. A lot better than he did without Aiden English back in WWE. I can watch these guys go at it again in time and probably see something different, which is a good thing. 16.43 at match time. 
Absolutely. Uh, I, again, this is one of those solid uh, sleeper matches because we all know what Josh Alexander was, Josh Alexander's capable of. But this is the mm-hmm. first I'm seeing a Simon Gotch on a TV. I haven't seen what he's been doing in the Indies since he was released from WWE a couple years back. So it was hard to know yeah. what to expect. But we ended up getting a pretty solid matchup between these two guys. All right, next up, we would have what would be the longest match of the night, even though it wasn't even the main event. It wasn't even a semi-main event. It was the no-surrender matchup for the TNA World Championship. Moose defending against the inter- against Alex Shelley. Now, the rules of the match were simple. Moose had the system in his corner, and they had a green flag. While Alex Shelley had the intergalactic jet setters in his corner, Judd, Kevin Knight and Kushida, and they had a white, they had a white towel. And the rules were the only way to win is if your corner throws in the towel, basically. You know, so that was the, the rules. It was a lot of violence. Yeah. A lot of violence. And it would end with Moose hitting two spears on Alex Shelley. And as Kushida stat, sat contemplating throwing the towel, Moose would then wrap a chain around him to pot to set up for a third spear. He would hit the third spear, and just as it would look like Shelly still was trying to fight, Kushida would throw in the towel to end the matchup. Moose would then hit a fourth spear just for the hell of it because he's, a, yeah. he's an asshole. That's why. And Moose would walk away, still the TNA World Champion, and Alex Shelley would be apoplectic because of the fact that Kushida threw in the towel, even though backstage he told him whatever, what, whatever you do, don't whatever happens to him, don't throw in the towel. So, Sif, your thoughts on the first ever no surrender rules match for the TNA World Title? Moose is just an average Joe with a regular job. If you know the song, you know the song. Sing it with me sometime, folks. Look, this was good stuff with Moose getting his second win over Alex Shelley, who already had a big title reign. Uh, The stipulation was a good way to protect Shelley, but I have to wonder something, champ. Could Alex Shelley turn on his friend Kushida for throwing in the towel when Alex Shelley told told his friends, don't throw in the towel? Good stuff here. Some stories down the road. 20 minutes, 7 seconds, your match time. Yes, it's going to happen. Like, the signs are there. The signs are there. He's going to turn on Kushida, and there's going to be a feud between Alex Shelley and Kushida. It's happened. It's coming. I know and it's Shelly as a heel is awesome if y'all haven't seen it yet. Y'all are in for a fucking treat. All right, next up, we would see the Knockouts World title defended in our semi-main event. Jordan Grace, the champion, going up against the hard-to-kill Ultimate X winner, Giselle Shaw, who is on her own now. She doesn't have the Shaw, the Shaw Taraz. She let fire the Shaw Taraz. She's on her yep. own, matched with 10 minutes and 30 seconds, and there was a spot in the matchup where Giselle Shaw did a Spanish fly off the ring apron to the floor. Jordan Grace posted on Instagram that that was the top five most painful spot, and it wasn't number five. So, yeah, clearly she did not enjoy that bump, but it happened, and there you go. But she still was able to retain the championship with the juggernaut driver. Jordan Grace, still your knockouts world champion. Said thoughts? Uh, really good penultimate main event. And honestly, Giselle Shaw looked great even without the Chantourage who she left behind. Jordan Grace, per the usual, puts on a really solid match. And this is a hot take. 
I would not have been upset if Giselle Shaw won here because it would have been a shock title change worth seeing because she had left the Chantourage behind. So I wouldn't have been upset by that. That said, though, you know, it was, you know, it was really two women coming out and saying, let's burn this fucking house down. 1038, your match time. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that's a great point you just made, Sif, is that it would have been like the shock and awe of like Gail mm -hmm. Kim telling Giselle Shaw, you could do it on your own. And she goes out and does it on her own and becomes the champion. But they went with Grace retaining. So it looks like Shaw is going to be put on the back burner. I anticipate a feud between Shaw and Savannah Evans coming down the line after the way that Shaw uh did savannah evans so i think i'm thinking they're gonna be setting that up pretty soon so mm -hmm. let's keep an eye on that one let's keep an eye on tna impact this coming thursday to see what happens there and then in our main mm -hmm. event for the first time since 2005 2005 this is the last time that the X Division Championship main evented a pay-per-view or a big a, a big event for tna Chris Saban was in that main event along with AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. It was a triple threat for the X Division mm -hmm. title. Now, 19 years later, almost 19 years later, Saban is once again in the main event defending the X Division title against a debuting Mustafa Ali who had the full-on presidential uh, presentation with the nice robe, the Secret Service security around him, and uh, the, the music. He had it all. And then we got to the matchup, and it was really, really good. Really good. But I think what really makes this one of the top matches of the night was not only the in reaction. But the shock that on his first match in T yes. in TNA, he becomes the new X Division champion. Now this was the second longest match of the night, nineteen minutes and thirty seven seconds. But Mustafa Ali is your new X Division champion, ending the tenth reign of Chris Sabin in spectacular fashion. Sith, what do you have to say about our main event? Wow. He fucking did it. Mustafa Ali beat one of the best X Division champions ever in his first match in TNA, PLE-wise. This was an outstanding main event that delivered the goods at the end of the night, just start to finish. Look, the fans rallied for both Ali and Saban here, and just me. The right call was made with making Mustafa Ali X Division champion. Great shit here. And it just goes to show Mustafa Ali's little politician gimmick that didn't get over in WWE, it's gotten over already in TNA. And it's already stop. getting over in New stop. Japan. Stop, stop, stop. It didn't get over in WWE. You know why? Because they never did it. Yeah. They never gave him a chance and, to get it off the yeah. ground. That it reminded me a lot of Kevin Owens, the face of America. That never got off the ground. It was here one week, next week, gone. That's what happened here. This has gotten off the ground running, and the fans are fully invested, even though Mustafa Ali is a heel. That's Bro, it was something. it was a split crowd for it that main was. event. It was a split crowd. Half the people, half the battles on Ali's. 
But half of them battles on Ali's side, half of them battles on, on, on Saber's side. It was crazy. Anyway, let's awesome. let's talk about let's talk about final grades. And then there's something I want to address in our Twitch chat that I need to address. And I'm not I don't want to wait until after we do Elimination Chamber. So Sif, what is your final grade for this event? I bet overall, this is the first TNA event mm-hmm. post firing of Scott the Moore. Gives me a slight bit of hope. Whereas three weeks ago, I was thinking, what the fuck is going on here? All the matches really are good to great. I even enjoyed PCO versus Khan because it was filler done right at the end of the day. And there are a lot of more stories to be built over here. Still have good builds to stories heading towards Sacrifice, which I believe is the Friday after AEW Revolution. But the only thing I didn't like is understandable, and that's having Decay drop the belt so quickly. But overall, if you're a TNA Plus subscriber or like Champ and I, Ultimate Insider on YouTube, seek out this paper, this event. You won't be sorry. My final grade is a B. So I'm going to go a step further and go B plus here. Like I said, uh, the the final match in the three-match series with ABC and, the, and GYV was absolutely stellar. Uh, no surrender. The no surrender match was just utterly violent, and I love the whole teases yes. of one side throwing in the tower and then the other side. You know, the storytelling was absolutely spot on there, and I really enjoyed Mustafa Ali going from an underrated – underrated individual in WWE who didn't get a chance to hold a championship to coming to TNA and is now holding one of their most prestigious championships in the X Division Championship on his first match in. And he's continuing his Mustafa Ali World Tour, but now he's going to continue it as X Division Champion. I love it. So I'm going with a B-plus here. And they the matches were very well done. Even, like you said, Khan and... Um, and PCO yeah. was even done, what done particularly well, given what they're trying to establish. So B plus for me for this one. Well done by TNA. Uh, in off the heels of Scott Demore's dismissal, they were still able to go out and put on something very, very solid and very, very enjoyable to watch. So yeah, good on them. All right. Before we move on to the Elimination Chamber, again, I wanted to address something that put, appeared in our Twitch chat that I feel like it needs to be addressed. Alex, who's a very good friend, who's a very good supporter of the podcast, loves to present us with booking ideas and ask for our thoughts. Well, Alex has provided one, and I'm ready to give my thoughts. I will tell you the perfect booking for Karrion Cross. There you go. Karrion Cross starts a feud with Rollins. Rollins encounters AOP flashback, AOP flashbacks to 2019-2020 as the Messiah, but AOP does nothing. Cross attacks Seth, and Seth is out for two weeks. And Seth returns with Theme Rising and the entire Messiah gimmick, and this is this how the real shit starts for a PLE. Uh, PLE match. Starts champion Sith. Sith, I'll get to you first. I can't hold this anymore. Not only is this a bad idea, it can't be executed properly because Seth Rollins is the World Heavyweight Champion on Raw, whereas Karrion Cross and AOP are in Final Testament on SmackDown. So one of those two will have to move and it will have to make sense. So there, there, your, there, your logic is already flawed. They're on two different brands. Yes, I know we ignore the brand split, but for the sake of the argument here, let's not ignore the brand split. There's just no way because they're not. They're on. They're on different brands. They're on different brands, so it just won't work. 
Now, let's say they do switch brands. Let's say Seth does switch to SmackDown or Final Testament switches to Raw. There's just not there's just nothing that brings the story into focus. There's no yeah, there's history between AOP and Seth Rollins, but how do you tie that in to involve Karrion Cross outside of the fact they're all part of the same faction? And maybe, you know, Karrion Cross wants to say, Well, I can guide them better than you did. Maybe, but that's a hokey story. And I don't think it's gonna gain a lot of traction or a lot of attention from mm -hmm. a lot of fans. So that's why I would not do that at all. I would not have Rollins anywhere near the final testament, at least at this point, until they handle their business with Lashley and his crew. Once that's done, figure it out from there. But I just don't want Seth Rollins anywhere near that. Sith, what do you think? Not a good idea. Um, right now, you have Rollins being one of the top draws alongside Cody Rhodes on Monday Night Raw. The final testament's all the way down here on SmackDown where it comes to the totem pole, if you will, going up against Lashley and the Street Profits right now. Although on paper it might look like a good idea, even if there isn't a brand split, I wouldn't do it right now. There's just too many variables going on. And to I'm going to use a correlating thought here. To take Karrion Cross and or AOP right now in the mid-card and I'll link them all the way up to the main event immediately is not close to what, it's not reminiscent of Jinder Mahal in 2017 where he went from mid-card jobber straight to the championship, but it gives all vibes to the fan base of WWE of not this shit again. You know, it's a risky idea that I don't think Trips would pull the trigger on, and I know I wouldn't do it. This will definitely pull the trigger on that, but I think Triple H is a lot smarter than that to even try yeah. to accept that. And we all know what how that turned out with Jinder Mahal going from uh, Mick Carter to the WWE Champion. That was one of the worst WWE Championship reigns I've ever seen in my entire freaking life. And there are others who may yeah. argue that, but that's your that's your prerogative. I thought it was bad. I thought his title ring sucked, it, it, honestly. I thought it, it sucked. Anyway, anyway, but again, we always appreciate presenting us with those scenarios yes. and a lot of times they're good but that was one of the ones where that just didn't hit the mark bud because i just you just it just don't see it working because they're on two different brands and you you know you have to switch them and then you have to find a way to connect them outside of you know the whole aop with the messiah and all that and then on top of that why would you bring back an old gimmick that's something that the in okay so in old school wrestling a lot of times people brought back old gimmicks as sort of a nostalgia thing to like connect stories and stuff like that. But modern wrestling, you don't really try to bring back old gimmicks for any reason, especially as a gimmick like the Messiah when he's a face. Like he's a baby face and he's getting yeah. over with this art with his uh visionary he's a revolutionary having everybody sing his song that shit is so over. You go to the Messiah, you're going to lose the fan base on him. You're going to lose them. So I think that's another reason why I think that would be a bad booking decision because of the fact of him reverting back to the Messiah. That that gimmick is dead and gone. There's no need to resurrect it at all, honestly. And especially with the fact that this gimmick that he's got right now is 
gotten so over right now that a program with the last testament would just completely derail that possibly you don't want to do that right now Ugh. love alex yeah. to death but i just don't see that happening all right now it's time to talk about elimination chamber which took place in perth australia in front of over fifty thousand people the exact number was fifty two thousand Five hundred and ninety in yes. uh, the Optus Stadium in Perth, Western Aust- West Australia. Uh, we had five matches on the card: one during the kickoff, and then four on the main card. They were spread out pretty evenly in terms of time, and the action was pretty good. Now, again, you probably noticed we did not do live reactions to that because that was too fucking early in the morning, and we knew that no one would be up watching and live reacting with and watching our live reactions. So, me and Sip just watched it on our own time. I literally yep. watched Elimination Chamber after watching SmackDown and Rampage and new japan and then watch that i had to take a, a couple hours break from wrestling before i even watched no surrender uh because i was like man i'm about to be wrestled wrestled out here dude like holy crap anyway let's get right into it let's talk about that kickoff show let's matchup which saw the kabuki warriors defend the wwe women's tag team championships against candace LeRae and indy hartwell indy getting a chance to wrestle in front of her fellow countrymen and women on the on the ple uh but it, it didn't go well for them as Sane and and Oscar were able to hit that insane elbow combination that won them the titles mm-hmm. to retain it. The match went eight minutes and fifty five seconds. Sith, what did you think about this opener? This pre show, this kickoff match. Yeah, good kickoff match that honestly delivered more than expected. Correct me on this, champ. Indy Hartwell shined here when she could this is the indie hartwell that we knew we could see but hasn't come into focus she was given that credit to candace as well as the kabuki warriors for allowing indie hartwell to shine in front of her country people predictable as far as the outcome is concerned but if you're looking for a kickoff match of the year this match might be in that discussion match time is eight minutes 55 seconds which is a good one for a kickoff match champ yeah, I agree. Indy Hartwell did shine, which, um, you know, being at, being home, being able to wrestle in her home country and being in front of 50, over 52,000 people, I'm pretty sure the nerves were there, but she was able to ro- roll through it. And it, sh- it shows that she is ready to, to begin to ascend a little bit more. So I got to give her props, but I also got to give props to the Kabuki Warriors for playing their part in this and for Candice for playing her part in this as well. So a uh, good kickoff match. Mm-hmm. And then we opened things up with our first Elimination Chamber <sighs> matchup. It would be the Women's Elimination Chamber where the winner would get a shot at the Women's World Title Match at WrestleMania 40. Here was the order of entrance for this matchup. It would be... Naomi, it would be Becky Lynch and Naomi that kicked things off. Then Tiffany Stratton would come in at number three. Liv Morgan came in at number four. Raquel Rodriguez at number five. And Bianca Belair would be the last in the ring. Uh, Naomi would be the first to be eliminated by Tiffany Stratton at 13 minutes and 30 seconds. Tiffany Stratton would then be pinned by... be pinned by Liv Morgan at 22 minutes and 55 seconds. Raquel Rodriguez would get pinned by Bianca Belair at 25.05. Bianca Belair 
uh, would then be eliminated by Liv Morgan at 32-10 on a roll-up. And then shortly thereafter, with a manhandle slam, Becky Lynch would eliminate Liv Morgan at 32 minutes and 16 seconds to give him the give her the victory. And the man is going to WrestleMania, the challenge for the Women's World Championship. Sith, what did you think about our first chamber match? Strong women's chamber match that honestly, this was a breakout performance for one Tiffany Stratton. She came out and showed how much potential she has mm -hmm. and why out of everyone out of 2.4, she's one of the top talents to come out of that and rightfully so got that call up. Overall, really awesome match. And honestly, it's one that I could see myself rewatching off this card as you had solid spots, good brawls, good technical wrestling as well. The only downfall is that the winner was predictable after what happened in Las Vegas at the WrestleMania post-conference. 32-15 is your match time. Yeah, I mean, it was predictable, but it also was predictable because of the fact that Becky Lynch kind of laid the seeds down when she got face-to-face -face with Rhea Ripley mm -hmm. and said that she needed to beat her and stuff like that. So it kind of laid the groundwork for that, but still, it was really well-done matchup, and here we are. All right, next up, it was the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship match, the Judgment Day defending against the team formerly known on the indies as the British as British Strong Style, now known in WWE as the New Catch Republic, Pete yes. Dunn and Tyler Bates. Uh, this was another really fun matchup to watch up between these two. The, the double teams from both teams were absolutely on point. Again, as someone who is a huge a fan of tag team wrestling, this was one of those really good tag team matches to watch. Uh, but in the end, after a after a super south from heaven and then a coup de grace from Finn Balor, it would be the Judgment Day retaining the championship at 17 minutes and 25 seconds to walk out still holding the gold. Sith, what did you think about this matchup between the New Catch Republic and the Judgment Day? The Judgment Day and New Catch and New Catch Republic, they had to come here and follow a women's chamber match that was just absolutely incredible so they had to come in even up the pace a little bit and it's a really fun match look dom dirty dom had the fans so triggered from his shenanigans that the screen blacked out for a few seconds because because the entire front row was flipping them off so they had to you know, wait for that to stop, then get back to the ring. That was insane. This was a fun match. Foregone conclusions to the winners would be, but, you know, if you like tag team wrestling, champ, and I love tag team wrestling, seek this match out. 17-25, your match time. Yeah, like Seth said, this is another predictable result uh, because you know that there's something bigger over the horizon for the Judgment Day when it comes to those tag titles at WrestleMania, and nothing against Dunn and and Bate, but I doubt that they yeah. were gonna be there in a position to be a big draw for a tag team title match at that event. So I'm sure DIY is going to be somewhere lurking and I'm pretty sure it's going to be DIY that ends up getting that shot at WrestleMania, and then I think DIY will finally win the belts at WrestleMania. So there you go. Next Two. up, we have the other Elimination Chamber match. It was the match to determine who would get a shot at the World 
heavyweight championship and Seth Rollins <laughs> at WrestleMania 40, it would be in this this was the order of entries la knight and drew mcintyre would start the matchup then they would be joined by kevin owens then bobby lashley then brandy orton and then logan paul uh in that uh the elimination were as follows lashley was the first to be eliminated by drew mcintyre at 21 30 then McIntyre would eliminate LA Knight at 24-20. Randy Orton would get the next two eliminations with RKOs to Kevin Owens and Logan Paul KO at 28 minutes even. Logan Paul at 32-35. But then Logan Paul was still hanging around the cell. He would nail Randy Orton with the brass knucks after he laid out McIntyre with the, with the RKO. Uh, McIntyre would get the pinfall, 36 minutes and 55 seconds. And Drew McIntyre will now get a third opportunity at the World Heavyweight Championship and Seth Rollins, this time at WrestleMania. Seth, what did you think about this? Let the bodies hit the floor. Yeah, this was a crazy match start to finish. And honestly, I love how we had a hooked ending where Logan Paul used the brass knucks. He and Orton, they're going to have a banger come WrestleMania. You have a story right there. You have another story that just started getting built out because AJ Styles came in with a steel chair to use it on LA Knight. So you've got that for WrestleMania, possibly. And all things considering, because he had to pull the trigger on someone because supposedly Punk was supposed to come out of the chamber as the winner, Drew was the right call, all things considering. Just a really, really good match. 36.55, your match time. Absolutely. I mean, you kind of knew that that was the route they were going was with Drew McIntyre, given his propensity for uh, saying that he got screwed, didn't this, that, and the third, and that's how he's rolling with it. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I like the fact that you have two different other matchups that you could potentially get out of this one with AJ Styles and LA Knight on SmackDown and then uh, Logan Paul and Randy Orton also on SmackDown as well. So you really, you killed three birds with one stone because you got mm -hmm. a proper replacement contender to face Seth Rollins at WrestleMania and you created two more potential matchups for WrestleMania. So uh, good job uh, on that one. So before we get into what was the main event, I want to get your thoughts, Seth, on the Grayson Waller effect segment that took place on the show. It took place shortly after the undisputed tag team title match and shortly before the this men's elimination chamber match. Now, if you didn't see this part, uh, Grayson Waller held the Grayson Waller effect where he had Austin Theory. Austin Theory started off in the ring and introduced Grayson Waller to a hero's pop. I mean, that man got a huge pop. He did a shoey with MMA, uh, with USC, uh, 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 fighter, uh, Tsai uh, Suvasa. He did a shoey. That's an Australian thing. They drink beer out of a shoe. I don't know who came up with that concept, but no. Just yeah. no. Anyway, so he did the shoey. Then he gets in the ring. Then they start with the thing. Rollins says he's pretty much almost medically cleared to, to compete, so he'll be ready for WrestleMania. Then Cody decides that, you know, yeah, he's challenging Roman, but he wants to challenge the Rocks as the Rocks slapped him in his face. And then Rollins told him, hey, if you're going to do that, 
I got your I got your back, bro. You know, I got your back. And then Austin Theory being an idiot decides he's gonna taunt them with the Rock's catchphrases before he got hit with a he got sent through one of the sides, hit with a Cody cutter, and hit with a stomp. And Grayson Waller didn't do jack shit because he was a baby face in that situation. He's in his home, he's in Australia. He's like he was he was chilling. Anyway, so what did you think about this segment? You know me, I love the Grayson Waller effect. I think that the Grayson Waller effect is going to follow into what we have had in the past with, you know, Jericho TV and with the Snake Pit and Piper's Pit and the Barber Shop, where if you can't get Grayson Waller into a match, you bring in the Grayson Waller effect. You have a good talk segment that's entertained the fans, entertained me easily enough. Hector, I wouldn't say that he was annoying. He was actually playing to his home audience, which is a good thing because he's an Australian. Um, I think overall it was a good segment. You know, you needed these two to, you know, do their thing. And, you know, Cody versus Rock, I think, might turn into a tag match. And then Seth saying, hey, I got your back on this. Plays into something that I think could happen at WrestleMania. But we'll get to that as time gets closer. But I enjoyed it, though. Champ? Yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty good segment. It did its job of advancing uh, one of the main storylines, which is Cody and the, versus the Bloodline with Seth trying to be his backup against the Bloodline yeah. and things like that. So, you know, and again, Seth also, this was before Seth would find out whose opponent's going to be at WrestleMania. Uh, and everything like that, but I think it did its job the, the proper way. But then we go yeah. to our main event. Our main event saw Nia Jax challenge Rhea Ripley for the Women's World Championship. Now, there are three things that I admire about this. First, the fact that this was the main event, Rhea being from Australia, South Australia to be exact, mm-hmm. being home in Australia, wrestling there for the first time in seven years and wrestling for the first time in WWE ever. Two, the fact that she got she got the enter last, which is always should be the prerogative of the champion to enter last, but they made sure she entered last because then she would get the huge pop and she really took in that pop. Mm-hmm. She's normally a very she's normally a very heel, but she was full on babyface for this one, and Nia got all the heat. But the main thing about this that I appreciated the most, and this is just with the entrance, Michael Cole and Corey Graves knew to just shut the fuck up. And not say yeah. anything. They just shut the fuck up and let the moment be there. They didn't, and that's that's perfect. I I was sitting there watching it, and the first thing I thought about was, man, if this was the AEW, Excalibur would have been talking all over this shit. Excalibur yeah. and Tony and, T- and Taz and all them, they would have been talking all over this shit. But no, they told Cole and Graves to shut the fuck up and just let the moment be of her of the crowd being on her side and just the the atmosphere and the atmosphere I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it by the way the atmosphere and everything that came was absolutely amazing so kudos to WWE for just doing that now for the match itself this was a really good matchup it was like really good back and forth two very powerful women going at it uh Nia Nia was uh, was you know Nia was a little bit more solid 
in this one that she has in her previous bouts. Rhea did her thing, but the when Rhea hit that last riptide, I was just it was in, in, I was in awe when she nailed that last riptide and got the victory. 14 minutes 35 seconds with Mommy in her home in her home country retaining the women's world championship. Now she will go on to face Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. Sith, what did you think about our main event? Really good main event where Rhea got to have a strong match in front of her family and home country fans. And you know, this is a hot take because I know a lot of people don't like Nia Jax. But this is the best we've gotten out of Nia Jax. Period. Okay? I think the last couple of weeks, she's gotten better week to week. And this is the best we have seen Nia Jax in her entire time in WWE. Best of all, no Judgment Day shenanigans here, so that way Rhea, who was built as the babyface for the match, could win like one, 14-35. That's your match time. I think that's also the key to this, Sith, is the fact that there was no Judgment Day interference. There was no Dom. Mm-hmm. There was no Jordan Dev, nothing. Every, no one got involved that was part of the Judgment Day. It was straight up one-on-one, no shenanigans, and a straight up clean victory for uh, for Rhea to move on to, uh, to her next matchup, which is going to be at WrestleMania against Becky Lynch. All right. Yep. Our final grade, Sith, what do we got? Well, before we do that, but before we do that, Sith, how did you do on predictions? You and I both ran the table. Ah, nice. This is my second straight pay-per-view that I ran the table, so I'm happy with that. All right. Yeah. Your your grade. Oh, my grade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hold on a second. Very strong PLE here. And I mean very strong, but although the main quip for this entire card, every single match outcome was predictable as to who would win, at least in my view. Mind you. I liked how we had story wrinkles being laid out, though, as it looks like AJ Styles. He'll have a program with LA Knight. You have Drew versus Seth, Becky versus Rhea, and now Logan Paul versus Randy Orton with seeds planted here. Okay? This weekend. Overall, this was a very solid PLE, and therefore, Elimination Chamber Perth gets a B plus champ. I'm going to have to agree with you on the B+. Yes, yes, everything was solid. Everything did its job. And plus, there wasn't a match that was that was robbed of time. Everybody got plenty of time in there with both uh, chamber matches top, top going over 30 minutes. But as we mentioned, it was quite predictable. I think you kind of felt that every match you knew who was going to win. And so that kind of keeps it from going anywhere above a B plus. Had they given us like a shocking, like shocking result, like freaking LA Knight winning the elimination chamber or something like that, or the new cash Republic winning the tag titles. I think this could have hovered into a minus status, but because it was so predictable, it just sticks with a B plus because the match, the action was good. We just knew what was going to happen. That's why me and Sith ended up running the table because we knew it was going to happen. Like there was, there yeah. was no way they going to deviate. They know what their WrestleMania plans are and they know who's involved in those WrestleMania plans. So they weren't going to deviate for any reason whatsoever. So, but still a B plus. So I, I, I gotta say, I did enjoy watching elimination chamber. It was a lot of fun to watch. So no, 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 nothing else there. Now, 
Really quickly, um, we we're going to look here in our Twitch chat. Uh, yes, Hector, Rhea's family was in the front row, and her sister did look like uh, Rhea did during the May Young Classic. And uh, the Women's World Championship match setup felt like a tournament. I mean, it does. It did feel kind of like a tournament, yeah. almost like a one-night tournament for the most part, you know? But uh, but I like the, how they got to where they got when it comes to uh, that championship match so now we will get becky versus Rhea, and so we'll be paying attention to the build over the next several weeks along with the build for uh rollins versus mcintyre and then three potential mat three potential two potential new matches coming out of these elimination chamber matches randy orton and logan paul most likely for the united states championship and aj styles versus la knight which has been brewing for weeks and now we're going to finally see it come to a head at wrestlemania all right, so normally we would go into uh, the week in review at this point and then get this thing stolen, but I really need to take a break and go to the to the little boy's room and stretch my legs a little bit. So we're going to take a quick break to do that, and then when we come back, I will then get on, I will get in the driver's seat of the bus, and we are going to go through the week in review. Just to let, also just to let you know as a spoiler, we have no grades for this week's Rampage. They didn't post them. Dr. No, we have Grace Collision. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, but that's we have Grace Collision, but no Rampage. So we won't have Grace for Rampage, but we'll still have uh, the five to talk about for Rampage. We just won't have Grace. So there you go. But anyway, enjoy the music. We'll be back after this quick break. For, for those who are watching on Twitch, enjoy the music. For those listening on Spotify or Apple or uh, Amazon Music, we will be back in just a bit. Hey you, yeah you, you enjoying this episode? I hope you are, because if you are, you can go ahead and subscribe to us. We're currently on Anchor and Spotify, as well as other podcasting platforms. So subscribe, follow us, and also check us out on social media, on Facebook, facebook.com slash pod, as well as twitter.com slash pod. Now we return to the show. All right, we are back after that little break here. It's time to get into the second half of this podcast where we're going to talk about the Week in Review, also known as Push or Bury. It is the part of the show where myself and Sif take five topics from every show from Raw all the way to Collision, and we pick a rating of either push if we liked it, if we really liked it, give it a big push. If we thought it was awesome, give it a mega push. If we thought it was meh, we give it a small push or leave it where it is, and if we absolutely hated it, we bury it into the freaking ground. I will be driving the bus and also as part of our new our review of the week we also take a look at the grades that were provided from bleacher report now normally we would have raw nxt dynamite smackdown rampage and collision but this week no rampage grades from bleacher report i checked it i they weren't there earlier today when i was prepping and then i checked about an hour ago and they're still not up so the only show that won't get a grade along with impact uh, of course is aew rampage this week but we will still talk about them so let's get right into it let's talk about monday night raw uh the the go home edition of monday night raw for elimination chamber and we opened the show with a shocker uh it was already announced that day by uh 
Raw General Manager Adam Pearce that the matchup between Cody Rhodes and Drew McIntyre would open the show and not be the main event. And so these two guys who have had a, who've had a heated rivalry went at it one on one with some with a screwy finish that led to Drew McIntyre getting a victory over Cody Rhodes. Only the third singles loss of Cody Rhodes' tenure in WWE. Sith push or bury our opening match. This was a PLE match to open up a show that had two purposes, and this is all it needed to be match-wise. Like at the end where McIntyre had a conflict of interest with the bloodline interfering, which is a part of his long-term story, Big Push ordering on a mega push. Yeah, this definitely gets a big push boarding on a mega push for me as well. Uh, this was a really solid matchup. It would have got a mega push, but for the interference, for the interference yeah. from the bloodline, and then Drew McIntyre having to look like, you know, yeah, I talked about them screwing me out of the title, but then I used them to give me a victory over Cody. But it made sense. You don't want Cody taking a clean pinfall loss on his road to WrestleMania. So you have to have something that can not only give him a, a rare loss, but also tie him to what he's got to face moving on in the in the road to WrestleMania. So I give it a big push. Yeah. All right, next up, we had ourselves a last chance battle royal qualifier to determine who would be the last woman to enter to be a part of the elimination chamber that took place this past weekend. And now the people that were part of said battle royal were as follows. You had Shayna Baszler, Zoe Stark, a returning Raquel Rodriguez, Zia Lee, Valhalla, Tegan Knox, Natalia, Indy Hartwell, Candice LeRae, Maxine Dupree, Ivy Nile, Electra, Electra Lopez, BFAB, Katana Chance, Meechin, Zelina Vega, Chelsea Green, Isla Dawn, and Kaylee Ray. And it would be Raquel Rodriguez who ends up winning the Battle Royal, getting the final spot in the Elimination Chamber. Sith, push or bury the last chance Battle Royal qualifier for Elimination Chamber. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez was a good pick to win here, and, but there was no chance of her winning the Elimination Chamber. But it's a feel-good story for her to come back off of illness and injury to win this. I give it a push bordering on a big push. Yeah, same. I've given it a push bordering on a big push. I really enjoyed that feel-good story. And it was good that, you know, it was almost ruined by the fact that Chelsea Green was hiding and came out and tried to sneak attack Raquel, but Raquel was too smart for that and still threw her ass out and got the victory. So I give it a push bordering on a big push. Very much love the result. The match was fine for what it was. All right, so I decided to combine these two into one because they involved the same person. So our truth sat down for a sit down interview and talked about his, you know, his severed relationship with the judgment day. He was sitting in a blue poncho and was walking around aimlessly in a blue poncho. Then after the sit down interview aired, he didn't team with the Miz and DIY to take on the entire judgment day in eight man tag team action. Sith push or bury our truth sit down interview plus his participation in in the eight-man tag match. Look, R-Truth is a national treasure and must be protected at all times. The man is charismatic and just brilliant where it comes to promos and 
the type of character that you you just kind of see what he says next. And with the eight-man tag, this was an I mean, with the yeah, eight-man tag, this was entertaining, and the crowd popped hard for the near falls that Truth had. Seek out the match, combining it all together. I give it a big push, bordering on a mega push. Yeah, big push for me. As you said, it was quite entertaining, quite fun to watch. Our truth is really leaning into this thing, and I just, I just can't get enough of it. So definitely yeah. a big push for me. All right, Ivar and Chad Gable went at it after Chad Gable was tired of Ivar bullying around his members of the Alpha Academy, so he decided to take matters into his own hands. Push or bury Chad Gable versus Ivar. I could watch this match all day long. Both guys are severely underrated, but really good utility workers and a mid-card that stack. Give it a big push. Same. Agreed. Big push as well. These two guys absolutely went to town. Really brought us a great matchup. And I mean, just the, 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 the type of technique that Chad Gable has uh, when it comes to working with big men is absolutely incredible. And I mean, the fact that he was able to get the the victory as well was, was a big plus and then our main event would see walter the longest rating intercontinental champion of all time defending that championship against main event jay uso and when it looked like jay was going to win the matchup his brother who got involved in the opening matchup once again gets involved costing him the matchup against walter and then afterwards Beats the crap out of his brother, hitting with two Uso splashes, which could lead us to yet another potential WrestleMania match, brother versus brother at WrestleMania. Sith, push or bury our main event and what happened afterwards. Another quality PLE match here on Basic Cable, and honestly, this did exactly what was needed at the end of the day. You couldn't have Walter lose clean, but you needed Jay to win here. The interference by Jimmy was good, and I like the idea of having Jimmy versus Jay the showcase of the Immortals. That could possibly happen. He gets my first mega push of the week. Yeah, I'm not I'm not quite on mega push with this one. I'm at big push boarding on that. I mean, good, good. They had to find a way for Walter to retain the championship because I'm pretty sure that Walter's reign will most likely end at WrestleMania. My question is against who? But I think that it would have been a bad move for Jay, nothing against Jay Uso to be the one to end this historic reign on on an episode of Raw. Clearly this reign has to end on a PLE and especially a PLE the size of a WrestleMania. Otherwise, you're basically you're basically causing a, you just you're nullifying what's been a historic run as champion. So I give it a big push bordering on a mega push because clearly we I knew that it, this was going to be the result. I just didn't know the result was going to be influenced by Jimmy to potentially set up a WrestleMania matchup uh that could potentially happen. All right, as we mentioned, we do have the grades from Bleacher Report. Uh, Bleacher Report's uh, writer Eric Beeston begins yeah. our look at, their, at what they provided for us. And they started with Cody Rhodes versus Drew McIntyre getting a B plus. A minus. The Elimination Chamber Qualifier Battle Royale, he gave it a B. Mm, yeah, B. And then he has both the interview with Rhea Ripley and Nia Jackson did an in-depth interview with R-Truth. He gave the 
women's world title match interview a D, but he gave the truth interview an A. I gave the women's interview a C minus. If it was just Dia talking, I'd bury it. But I give our troops segment an A. Yep. All right. Next up, our truth, the Miz and DIY versus the Judgment Day got a B. B plus. Also want to put up, bring up something that was brought up in uh, Eric's top moments of takeaways. Why in the hell is Michael Chandler calling out Conor McGregor literally off the heels of what happened, what's going on with Vince McMahon? Why is that a thing? No fucking idea. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Becky Lynch, the Becky Lynch promo where she was interrupted by all the women that are part of the elimination chamber, and then Nia Jax came out and beat everybody's asses, beat everybody's asses. That got a C plus. I give it a B minus. Chad Gable versus Ivar got a B. B plus. And Walter versus Jay Uso for the Intercontinental Championship got an A. A agreed. And his overall grade is as follows quote This was the best episode of Raw in months, showcasing new production values and a sense of urgency. Everything felt like it had a purpose. There was a singular goal to hype up Elimination Chamber and put the storytelling pieces in place to properly build to WrestleMania. The opener and main event were a fantastic contests, and everything in between was mostly good, as it should be. WWE creative WWE's creative process always thrives at this time of the year, and it made a packed three-hour edition feel relatively short, which is the mark of an enjoyable show. End quote. His final grade was an A. When you have one week segment in a three-hour show that not only was a solid go-home show for the Elimination Chamber, but also continued builds towards WrestleMania as well. Would you have your release three hours of programming where three years ago it was stagnant, but now the bar keeps being at a very good consistent level week to week. Please keep Diane Jacks off the mic or at least try to get her better on the stick because overall that promo segment aside, this was one of the strongest Raw episodes in recent memory. Raw this week also on my end gets a solid A. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about NXT. Again, NXT is continuing to build uh, towards the next big event. Uh, which, what's the name of that event? I can't remember. Uh, what's the name of that event that's coming up? Roblox. Sorry. Roblox. They're building towards yeah, Roblox. Roblox, which is going to be an NXT TV special coming up in a few in a couple of weeks. Uh, so let's talk about what happened on this episode. We opened the show with Opa Femi defending the North American mm. Championship against Lexus King. What do you talk? What do you say about this one? Pusha Berry. Uh, Opa Femi is fucking impressive with the work he's put in so far, and he's definitely a lot further in his development than Lexus King is for now. That said, an effective match for Opa Femi. There was no reason for Lexus King to look strong here. I give it a push. Yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it a push as well. It was solid for what it was. Wait till you hear the grade that it got, though. So we'll get into that later. But when you hear the grade, you're gonna be like, 
wonder like what the hell anyway by the way the person who wrote that article is kevin is kevin bird so wait to hear what kev gave for that one you'll 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 be you'll be in shock oh we love kev he's awesome Next up, Roxanne Perez looking more aggressive and more heel-like in her in her pursuit mm. of the NXT Women's Championship. She took on Ren Sinclair. Push or bury? Roxy, or Roxanne Perez, is slowly turning to a mini female Taz when, get this, y'all, back in ECW, when Taz was trying to get Sabu into a match and Sabu kept ducking him, Taz gave out punishment until that happened. Roxanne Perez came out and just made work out of Sinclair and made her tap out. The longer we wait, the more heelish the punishment gets for people who go up against Perez. Give it a push. Right. Um, I'm also going to give it a push as well. I mean, she basically just squashed poor Ren Sinclair. Yeah into oblivion but it's clear that they're really building towards having roxanne finally get her shot at lyra valkyria uh and be more and more aggressive about it so i guess that's that's just the way the cookie crumbles when it comes to this so give it a push sorry yeah. guys i'm a little bit distracted my my laptop is having issues here well my browser's having issues here i think it's fixed okay so we can move on all right Next up, we finally got to see the matchup between Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen after their confrontation in which there was tough love telling him to step up. What did you think about this one? Push or bury? I love this big brother, little brother dynamic. So let's relate to having tough love where it comes to a sibling or an adopted sibling. And that's what this match did. Jensen looks strong in defeat, and Briggs is the next big man, I think, or at least that's what Shawn Michaels and company are feeling at this point. Give it a big push. Yeah, I'm on a push boarding on a big push. The match was, was solid for what it was. I, w I would love to see more of this, though. I want to see where this goes. I want to see where Brooks Jensen goes. I want to see where Josh Briggs goes. And I want to see them go at it one more time. And then maybe I might see a big a, a potential big push matchup or something like that. But I'm going to go with a push boarding on a big push. Yeah. All right. Earlier on in... Earlier on in the show, Nathan Frazier and A-Kid came out along with Chase U to uh, approach the new NXT Tag Team Champions, the Wolf Dogs, and Ava decided to create a number one contenders match between the two teams to determine who would be the first challengers for the Wolf Dogs in those tag titles. So, we had that matchup, and we found our number one contenders. But then something happened afterwards where a main roster team decided to show up and cause havoc. <laughs> Sith. Push or bury our number one contenders match plus what happened afterwards. Really good match here that got things back on track quickly after a really lackluster women's match in my view. The post-match attack by the OC was wild. Good shit. Give it a big push. Yeah, I got to give it a big push. The match was really good, but then the OC coming out of nowhere, like they were languishing on SmackDown now, all, like wondering if AJ Styles is still with them. Now, all of a sudden, they're on NXT getting involved in the tag team division. I think they're going to really put, give that tag division a shot in the arm and things like that. So definitely give it a big push. 
All right, so our main event saw Shotzi taking on Lyra Valkyria for the NXT Women's Championship. The match was going as well as it could be, but then during the commercial picture-in-picture commercial break, Shotzi did the DDT off the apron but landed awkwardly, causing her to tear her ACL and effectively take her out of the matchup. Ava would then come out and issue an open challenge, which would be answered by Lash Legend, who already had a matchup on the night, so she was pulling double duty. She would come out and they would have a matchup, but Lyra Valkyria would be able to withstand that challenge and retain the NXT Women's Championship in the second matchup. Sith, push or bury both women's championship matches. Okay. I don't have a grade for Lyra Valkyria versus Shotzi because of a 20 CL. It just doesn't feel right to do so. Now, for... The second match, Valkyria Lash Legend, credit to Lash Legend for stepping up to the plate after presumably being in Gorilla due to finishing the match before. You know, good teachable thing for the young talent here. The match was decent overall, so I give it a push. Yeah, taking away the Shotzi, taking away the Shotzi uh, injury. I have to also give it a push as well. Lash Legend was very solid. See, it appears that Lash Legend has been putting a lot of work in the Performance Center mm-hmm. because her in-ring prowess has gotten has improved quite a bit more over time. She's gotten a lot better, and we already know she can talk. She's on, She's a, I think she's a year away from becoming NXT Women's Champion with the way yeah. that she's been uh, improving. I think she's a, a year away, honestly. But um, Maybe good on her to be able to nine months away. She's really Maybe. getting good. Absolutely, and just I really, I really was shitting all over her every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were, but now, I mean, she's doing yeah. well. All right, as I mentioned, Kevin Burge was the one that did the grades for NXT for Bleacher Report. We started with the North American, the North American Championship match: Oba Femi versus Lexus King. Sith, what grade would you get? Would you give it? I gave it a C. He gave it a D plus. Kev, I respect you. You're a good dude, but we'll agree to disagree. Yeah, he gave it a D plus. When I saw that, I said, "Okay, what match was he watching?" Because I didn't think it was that well, bad. But anyway, <laughs> uh, next up, bad. Chase, you and Nate. Chase, you and Nathan Frazier, along with a kid, interrupt the war. The Wolf Dogs. That gotta be. I give it a B plus. That was a lot of fun to have that summit. Roxanne Perez versus Ren Sinclair. Hector's not gonna like this grade. He gave it a C plus. I give it a B minus. It was good. Josh Briggs versus Brooks Jensen got a B plus. I agree, B plus. Quick question. Men deny Yo. their truth. I will be a mirror to it. Who the fuck is this person? I want to know who this is. Do you want to know my theory? Bo I want to know who that is. Anyway, let's move on. Bo Dallas. Quickly, what's your theory? Shit. I think it's Bo Dallas. Hmm. Hmm. I could be wrong. We shall see, but I think it's Bo Dallas coming back. That would be interesting. 
So at least he wouldn't be coming back with that we believe. Apology for that match is because you love Roxanne Perez. So please don't give people shit over it. Yeah, yeah you're biased. <laughs> yeah. You're biased. Anyway, uh, Ariana Grace versus JC Jane got AD. Kevin, you're too kind. Fuck this shit. F. Wow. Yeah. Number one contenders match Nathan Frazier and A Kid versus Chase U, along with the beatdown by the OC. Got a B. I agree. B. That was a good way to get the show back on track. Kaylani Jordan versus Lash Legend. He gave it a B minus. I give it a C plus. Lash has gotten miles better since being pushed hard with no experience. And then for the NXT Women's Championship main event, he said he gave no rating due to the circumstances. I gave Legend Valkyria a grade of a C plus because I gave it a push, but the Injury involving shots in Valkyria did not grade. Right. And his overall show thoughts, quote, This was a flat night of action, especially deflated by the circumstances in the main event, but the rest of the show was also up and down. There is an argument to be made that WWE should not have aired the original title match after the injury, though that should be Shotzi's decision either way. Lash Legend did her best to make the most of the spotlight, but she does not have the experience yet to work two matches back-to-back, let alone one called as an audible. It was an awkward situation all around. Brooks Jensen and Josh Briggs had a good contest, but it probably should have opened over the rough North American Championship squash. Chase U had a decent bout with Nathan Frazier and A-Kid, though it was overshadowed by the arrival of the OC. Rest of the action was uninspiring, though that was hardly surprising. Each bout was between three to five and five minutes and largely one-sided. The best promos of the night were the pre-taped answers from Carmelo Hayes and Ilya Dragunov, who should make NXT more exciting next week when they face off. End quote. His overall grade, D+. Uh, this was a slightly above-average episode of NXT. That's some really good matches and segments. But then you have that sore, you know, that sore sight of J.C. Jane versus Ariana Grace that was just, oof. You know, Briggs versus Jensen was a really good hospital brother fight. Having the good brothers show up to wreak havoc turns things up a notch where it comes to the tag team division. However, some things do need a lot of work, and especially when you have a good solid pace going, having don't have a derailed with the match, it feels like a complete chore to sit through, which is what happened with JC Jane versus Ariana Grace, which is my opinion. Credit to Lash Legend for stepping up to the plate, spur of the moment to come in, do double duty. That was a good teachable moment for moment for all the young talent there. NXT gets a B-plus this week. Not a bad show in my view, but just for the most part, just slightly above average. Right. Uh, Really quickly, so uh, 
Hector seems to think it's a downgrade going from the main roster to NXT. It's not really a downgrade. Look what it did for uh, someone like uh, Apollo Crews, though we, he's no longer around. Uh, but look at what's done for Baron Corbin. He's now a tag champion. Look what it did yeah. for look. Becky Lynch went down there, won the NXT Women's Championship for God's sakes to f- complete the full on Grand Slam. Um, and then um, you look at. I mean, it's not a downgrade. Going to yeah. NXT is not a downgrade. It's more like a, it's more like a lateral movement to like help you know give you something to do. Honestly, yeah. So Bo Dallas going down to going with nothing to do. Yeah. So Bo Dallas going to NXT wouldn't be a downgrade, especially because we haven't seen him on a main roster in a match in like four four plus years. Yeah. So you know it wouldn't be a downgrade. It would be something, and then. I don't know about. I think Ariana Grace, her losing time because of a knee injury. I think that kind of yeah. stunted her development, and yet they're still putting her on TV without getting her back up to speed. I think that's a that's a mistake on NXT's on on Shawn Michaels and Crew's part. They need to really train her up and get her back, get her up to speed. Honestly. All right, dynamite time. Yeah. And we open with the Blackpool Combat Clubs, Claudio Castagnoli and John Moxley taking on FTR, which went to a time limit draw. Did not see this coming because they had a 20-minute time limit, so I figured someone's going to win, and next thing you know, it was a time limit draw. Push or bury our opening contest. Bloody good match to open up as both teams were in the mood to just have a match, not the fans even out of their hands. I don't mind the time limit draw finish leaves room for a rematch to top, which will top this one, which will happen next Sunday night at Revolution. Big push borders on Mega Push. Champ. Yeah, big push for me as well. Um, Yeah, I agree that time limits suck. Time limit draw suck, but as you're building this this rivalry up, you can't risk someone getting hurt by having or win cleanly, and even then, even if they win dirty, you still kind of muddy the waters of the of the of the rivalry. So a time limit draw is the only way booking booking decision that you make where this can continue and can mm-hmm. uh, escalate. So I'm giving this a big push boarding on a mega push. Hector, fuck you, fuck you too, by the way. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Next up, we had a non-title matchup where Orange Cassidy went up against one half of the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, Mike Bennett. Push or bury, Sith? Uh, fun non-title match here. That was really good. And the cool thing is that you had Kingdom Interference, of course. But y'all said Orange Cassidy come out on top with the non-title match. Lots of fun here. Push, bordering on Big Push. Yeah, I'm also going to push bordering on Big Push. Very solid matchup. It's really continuing to build towards Ars Cassidy going up against Roderick Strong for the International Championship, which should be a banger, by the way. I can't wait for that one. Oh, by the way, uh, in in a couple weeks, and next week, we will be live reacting to AEW Revolution, so the podcast will be on Saturday instead of Sunday. So make sure you are uh, we we make sure you adjust your calendars. Saturday at six p.m. We will be doing the live stream of the podcast, which will go up on Sunday, and then Sunday night, live reactions to AEW Revolution. So there you go. 
Next up, yep. we had a very unique segment where Daniel Garcia was announced as the next challenger for the TNT Championship after what happened between with him and Adam Copeland the week prior. He would be then joined by Christian Cage, who seems to always want to hone in on someone's dead father. Which is why I'm glad I'm not in AEW because then he would go after my father and then I would have to literally punch him in the face. Yeah. The Daniel Garcia Christian Cage segment, Pusha Berry. Really good way to continue the patriarchy storyline and throw Garcia into a match at Revolution. Christian Cage is literally the best heel in AEW right now. And although I don't have Garcia winning next Sunday night, this segment made me feel like this is going to be a solid match. I give it a big push bordering on a mega push. They're going to need to find something else for Christian Cage to, to draw heat from. This whole trope of going after a wrestler's dead father is getting old fast. It's getting really yeah. old. And it's, he's going to have to find something else. But it was still a really good segment, so I'm giving it a big push, but I'm hesitant to give it a big push because he keeps using that whole... I get it. He's the patriarch of AEW. He wants yeah. to, I get it, but... We got we got to find something else here. We got to find something else here. Otherwise, this is gonna get stale. And still, right. at least is doing something else besides working at Denny's. <laughs> hmm. So next, we had both the women that are involved in the AEW Women's World Championship mm. match at Revolution in action in matches. Tony Storm in a squash match against the local talent, and then Deanna Perrazzo in what did not look like a very clean matchup against a veteran of the ring in Madison Rain. Sit Pusha Berry, both Tony Storm and Deanna Perrazzo's matches on Dynamite. I give it a push. Look, the first match, Tony Storm versus Cindy went out. It was fine. It was a showcase squash for Timeless Tony, who used Dino Perrazzo's submission move. And then although Perrazzo Rain was very clunky, with Rain landing on her head at one point, I like that Deanna Perrazzo used Tony Storm's submission. So I like the turnabout and fair play. So I give it all a push. But, you know, it was fine. I'm going to give it a small push. Tony Storm squashing a local enhancement talent. Yeah, whatever. Cool. She's the women's world champion, whatever. Deanna and Madison was very disappointing given the fact that both of them are veterans, especially yeah. Madison Rain. Madison Rain was a veteran, a, form, a former multiple-time knockouts world champion, world tag champion. She knows how to go in that ring, but yet somehow it seemed like they were both rookies that were in a training school match more than an actual TV match uh, in preparation of a pay-per-view. So I'm giving it a small push cool. for me. And then our main event saw Hangman Adam Page team with Hook and RV. D to take on the AEW World Champion Samoa Joe, his other challenger, Swerve Strickland, and fellow mogul embassy mate, Brian Cage. Push or bury our main event six man. Uh, really fun trio's main event. Love Taz telling people to use Google 
about the FTW Championship, the focus on Paige and Swerve, Samojo being a typical badass champion, Cage Hook RBD looked good as well. Um, Paige is going to be fine, according to Fightful Select. The ankle injury was a complete work. Paige is fine, but give it all a big push. Yeah, I agree with a big push. I, I really, really enjoyed this. The dynamic here of not only, you know, Samojo going against one of his challengers, but teaming with his other challenger who chose to stay, be on his side and fight the fight with him instead of doing something behind his back. So I definitely give it a big push. Now, we normally do five on these shows, but I had to include a six because there was a promo segment on here that we mm. really need to talk about. And that was the promo segment involving Darby Allen and Sting, uh, which Darby oh. and Sting talk about the Young Bucks attacking Sting's uh, sons and then Sting revealing that his absence last week was because he dealt with the death of his father uh, recently. And it was a very a promo that you could not ignore. Push yeah. or bury Sith that promo with Darby Allen and Sting. Um, Mega Push, that was huge. That was really awesome, really well done. My heart goes out to Sting, as well as my prayers to him and his family over the loss of Sting's dad. I sadly know the feeling, and it just hit the heartstrings. And you know what's crazy is now I know that feeling too, having lost yeah. my father almost, it's been two months and I miss him terribly. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to get myself together here, but just this, I had to include this pro. It was so hard to not exclude this. So I, I went with six on this one because this gets my first mega push of the I mean, yeah, I it, it knowing how it feels to lose a father, you understand this promo. You get this promo and you understand the messaging behind it, right? Yep. And that's what I got from this one. Had my father still been alive but still sick, I probably still would resonate with this promo. But with him being gone, it resonates with me a lot more because I know what he's going through. I know what he's feeling. You know what he's feeling, Sith. So, Damn. yeah, definitely a mega push for this one. Hector, you should know better. Anyway, grades from our good friend, Doc Chris Mueller, Sith's favorite. Yep. And by the way, it's understandable as to why Doc didn't do grades for Rampage, because he did the grades for Elimination Chamber Live. Well, there you go. All right. BCC versus FTR got an A minus. I agree. A minus. That was a lot of fun to watch. Mike Bennett versus Orange Cassidy got a B plus, B minus. I'm sorry. I give it a B. Tony Storm and Diana Perrazzo in action. He gave an incomplete for Tony Storm's match and then a C plus <laughs> for Diana Perrazzo's match. I get I give Tony Storm a C and I give Diana uh Rain a C plus. Fair. Joe Swerve and Cage versus Hook Hayman and R V D. He gave it a B plus. 
I agree, B+. And the final word from Doc Chris, quote, Wednesday's Dynamite started off strong with BCC versus FTR, but a few moments through the rest of the show kept it from being as good as it could have been. The scary botch with Rain and Ric Flair's weird segment backstage stood out the most for bad reasons, but most of what we saw in the ring was decent. The main event fell short of the opening bout, so the show felt a bit lopsided. If you only watch one match, make it BCC versus FTR, and quote his final grade was a C plus. Overall, this show remarked the return of chaotic pacing on AW Pro Dynamite after what they had been doing a better job in that area. Although with what was reported after the show, it's understandable as to why the show felt so chaotic at times. This was a good show this week, but the rushed, chaotic pacing brings back that feeling of the overall show down quite a bit for me. The show really did help set the table for Revolution, and the go-home show for this coming Wednesday should be a lot of fun. Dynamite gets a B-minus this week is honestly as good as it was bookmarked match-wise. The pacing has gone back to that frantic side that I can't rock with fully unless it's uh, one of the pay-per-views. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. All right, next up, TNA Wrestling. It was the go-home edition to No Surrender. And we begin with Chris Saban in his, in his preparation for Mustafa Ali facing the other half of the good hands, Jason Hotch. He faced John Schuyler the week prior. This time it's Jason Hotch. Push or bury? Uh, really good opening matches. This was the warm-up to No Surrender that Saban needed, in my view. Hotch is a good hand in there mid-card-wise. You had Saban showing why he's fucking solid and a vet. Strong push, bordering on big push. Yeah, I got to give it a push as well. Very solid opening matchup here. Uh, Jason Hotch doing what he's uh, doing, the, doing great, but Chris Saban showing that he's all, he was hitting on all cylinders before. No yeah. surrender and things of that nature. We would later find out what would really happen with that, but it doesn't really matter. We give it, give it a push here. Uh, Simon Gotch making his TNA in-ring debut. He took on Jack Price with Josh Alexander sitting ringside doing commentary when it was noted there was a no-contact order between the two in which if it was violated, the match would be called off. Push or bury Simon Gotch versus Jack Harry. Jack Price, I should say. Yeah. Effective showcase squash for Gotch here and good commentary point of view from Alexander push as the push match brings would have brought it up to a big push bordering on mega on a big push big big you know push bordering on big if we had the push match because i like that stare down between these two knowing that they couldn't hit each other or else the match was off yeah, I'm also giving it a push as well. I really enjoyed it as well. And, you know, again, as I mentioned, we were talking during the No Surrender uh, portion of the show. Uh, I was didn't know what to expect from Simon Gotch, who's been away from the WWE system for some, some years. has been on the indies and stuff like that. But I finally got to see it. I'm like, okay, he's, he's credible. It should be fun. All right, next up, Eric Young was expecting to face Frankie Kazarian in a one-on-one -on -one matchup. Frankie said... Nah, I don't. I don't feel like it, and decided to bring back a go one of his ghosts from his past. 
that being a ghost from his sanity past and yes. bring out Big Damo make, uh, coming out to the ring. And they had a hell of a contest with Eric Young getting the victory over his former sanity teammate. Set Eric Young versus Big Damo, push or bury. Oh, a really strong good match here. And we need more Big Demo and TNA, please. And thank you. That was dope. It was fun. Big push. I'm giving this a big push as um, I really enjoyed it. It was great to see Big Demo. And I like the way that Eric was able to protect him with the pile driver, even though he knew he couldn't get it off perfectly. Almost doing it like a gotch style pile driver, almost like the neutralizer and everything to be able to. Yeah, just get the victory. So uh, I love the uh, I love that there. So big push. Uh, Ash by Elegance made her in ring debut for TNA as she took on Savannah Thorne. Push or bury? Mm. It was what it was. I give it a small push. It's you know Ash by Elegance so far to me is nothing more than a modern version of Timeless Tony Storm. Hey Ash. You need to take something in mind here, girl. There's no 24-7 title in TNA. Yeah. I'm going to give it a push. I love her presentation, having her own personal concierge give her ring announcements and having the fanfare behind her and then using her athleticism to get a victory with that nice senton known as uh, Reticent Air. Uh, I really yeah. enjoy this, so I'm going to give it a push. I'm going to give it a push. Yeah. Hopefully we see a lot more and it gets a lot better, but for now, I'm giving it a push. And then our main event was the final preview before the No Surrender matchup. It will be Alex Shelley teaming with the intergalactic jet setters to take on the system with Alicia Edwards in a six-man tag team action. Push or bury our six-man tag, plus what happened afterwards? Uh, big push. Really good main event and post-match encounter big time. I still think that I don't know more inspired the system, but this was a straight-up good main event close but for no surrender. Alex Shelley versus Moose is going to be a war. Keeping out on Kevin Knight. Dude is going to be a star. And Champ, I have a question for you when you get done with your grade here. Uh, I'm going to go big push as well. I mean, really solid and a great final preview for the next for that matchup uh, on Sat on Friday. Also, I have to have a correction. Dana Brooke or Ash by uh, Elegance and Centon off the top is called Rarified Air, not Reticent Air. It's called Rarified Air, yeah, uh, but that's still a really good name for that's still a really good name for a finisher. I will say that, but uh, I'm giving this a big push. I really, really like this, and it was a great preview. Um, she has a great preview. It was a great preview of what's to come for that ma for that matchup for the world title, which we would see play out at No Surrender. Champ. Uh, also, yes. No, you go real quick. I what's need to react on something when you're done talking. Go ahead. I'm done. Deadass. Saban is a 10-time X Division champion, so he had to lose nine times. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's an, old, that's an old joke that didn't need to be rehashed. Thank you very much. Anyway, um, of course, with TNA Wrestling, no grace. So we're going to immediately move into SmackDown and talk about SmackDown this yes. past week. And we're going to start off with what opened the show, which was Liv Morgan taking on Tiffany Stratton in a final preview before Elimination Chamber. Push or Barry? 
Really good match, save for the corner powerbomb spot. That was ooh, a little cringy there. Stratton definitely has it, and having her in the ring with Liv makes a lot of sense, and Liv looked good in the match as well. I give it a push, bordering on Big Push. Yeah, also going with push, bordering on Big Push. Solid matchup. Uh, great preview for uh, fa- a solid preview for Elimination Chamber and stuff like that. Next up, Braun Breaker would be making his SmackDown debut. He would take on a fellow NXT uh, star. And well, I, I can't call him a star, but fellow NXT wrestler and Dante Chen in what was an absolute demolition push for Barry. Yeah. Uh, impressive W here for Breaker against Chen. Breaker is going to be a fucking star like his dad and uncle. I can definitely see it and feel in my boat. Big push bordering on Mega Push. Yeah, I'm definitely giving this a big push as well. I mean, there's no other way to introduce Braun Breaker to a larger audience than to have him just beat the living shit out of an unsuspecting uh, nobody, honestly. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what happened. He just beat the crap out of this guy, barely got any offense in, and that's, what I, that's how you debut someone the star power of a Braun Breaker with the power, speed, and, and athleticism that he has this way. All right, next up, the team formerly known as British Strong Style, now known as the New Catch Republic, had a chance to have a preview, had a chance to get a warm-up before their tag title match in Perth. They took on Dirty Dom and Jordan Devlin of the Judgment Day. Push or bury? Uh, Solid tag team matchup here um, between two really good teams. Baton Dunn knew that there was going to be a fight on their way to Perth. They also knew Jordan Devlin really, really well their time over in Britain in Europe together. Devlin and Mysterio worked really well together as did Baton Dunn. Give it a big push. Yeah, I agree with a big push. Really solid in getting them prepared to face off against their their cohorts who didn't get involved in the matchup, which was a good thing. Uh, I give I give it a big push. The Street Profits were in action against the Authors of Pain as the rivalry between Bobby Lashley and company in the Final Testament continues. Street Profits versus Authors of Pain, Pusha Berry. A uh, really good way to continue the build between the Last Testament and Lashley and the Profits. Good chemistry, good work by both teams. Push, ordering on big. Yeah, push. It was really nice to see. We did see some interference from both sides, but it basically evened things out for uh, for the match to end with the Street Profits losing, which keeps them into the rivalry for at least another little bit of time. Yep. Then our main event saw Drew McIntyre come to SmackDown to take on another man who's in the Elimination Chamber. L.A. Knight. Yeah. Push mm-hmm. or Barry? Yeah. Really good main event. Look, you're going to have a no contest with both guys being in an elimination chamber match. This was a fun way to really conclude the build to a PLE. Complete big push here. Good shit. Yeah, definitely a big push for me as well. Uh, really well done. Uh, really, really well done. You know, had the end where all the chamber participants got in and got their shit off, their, their finishing moves off, with Randy Orton being the last with an RKO out of nowhere and him yeah. being the site of the, the last person standing, even though we would end up seeing who would end up being the last person standing uh, in the end, but still great, a great sight to see of, of Randy Orton being the last man standing. All right, the grades from Bleach Report come from Eric Beeston here. Eric. Liv Morgan versus Tiffany Stratton. He gave it a B minus. I give it a B. Ron Breaker's SmackDown debut. He gave it an A. A minus. 
Tyler Bate and Pete Dunn versus Dominic Mysterio and Jordan Devlin. He gave this a B plus. B plus. The Street Profits versus the Authors of Plant Pain gave it a B. I agree, B. And then L.A. Knight versus Drew McIntyre. He gave that a B. Yeah, B plus. By the way, Bailey's getting turned on next week. Yeah. This, by the way, was set up this past on Thursday. She's getting turned on by Dakota Kai. Do 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 do. Dakota Kai. Do 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 do. Dakota Kai. Do 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 do. Yeah. It's gonna happen. I can see it. This is just the, yeah. the setup is there. Anyway, overall grade from Eric Beeston, Beeston of Bolicia Report, quote, the February 23rd show had one goal, put a final bow on the hype for the Elimination Chamber Premium Live event, and it did just that. Every segment had some sort of implication on Saturday's event with feuds intensified, key superstars highlighted, and the show-closing segment featuring the obligatory brawl between six guys vying for a world title opportunity. There was focus, purpose, and most importantly, other than the opening moments, and uh, 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 it felt it never felt like a pre-taped show. Most everything made sense. The crowd was hot, and the company stuck the landing. A quality go-home show. In quote, his final grade was a B. Okay, this was a go-home show that was taped last week. Is what usually happens with uh, PLDs that are overseas that don't have a spank down that weekend. That's at the overseas venue. However, that said, this was a really done, sh well done show this week. You had really good segments that finished off the builds for Elimination Chamber. You had builds post-chamber that will lead to WrestleMania. And above all, really good, good cohesion as well. All in all, this is what you should have for a go-home show that has another event on the horizon that you're also promoting. SmackDown did to B-plus this week. It's just good shit. All right, we go to Rampage again. No grades from Rampage for Rampage, but we still have things to talk about, including our opening matchup, which was one of the most confusing matches I've ever seen in AEW's history. A triple threat trios match where team number one was Penta El Zero Miedo, Commander, and the bounty hunter Brian Keith. Team number two was Private Party and Matt Seidel. And team number three was the only team that actually made sense here, which was Top Flight and Action Andretti. Push a berry, Sith. Look, this was a good opening trios three-way match. It's almost like it's a glorified spike fest, but this was fun to watch, to say the least. I could be a push bordering on a big push. I'm only giving this a push because the action was fun. It ain't going no higher because why is this even happening? And there was nothing even on the line. I would have put at least whoever wins becomes number one contenders for either the Ring of Honor, World Six Man, or the AEW Trio World Trios Championships. At least if you're gonna have a trios match like this, put some on the line instead of just putting these teams together into a random three-way match. That's crazy. Anyway, yeah. next up. The Young Bucks were in action. They took on the team of Cappuccino Jones and Johnny Lyon. What a name, Cappuccino Jones. Push or Barry? Look, I'm really enjoying the plot development here. The Jackson brothers being a couple of dicks as EVPs. Needed squash. Give it a push. Same push. It was good. Um, I forgot to include the, uh, the what happened after the promo oh, where they God. continued to be fucking dicks. And what? it was just... 
it was funny. So there you go, Jim. push. Yes. These guys are a couple of dicks to some of their critics. So I'm enjoying this poking at people. It's what the WWF did with parents who were upset about the oversexuality during the Attitude Era, hence right to censor. Yeah, exactly. All right, next up, we had an in-ring segment with Sammy Guevara, which led to Sammy Guevara getting jumped by Powerhouse Hobbs. What's your bury this in-ring segment? Look, this was good, but overall, though, Sammy Guevara is much better as a heel, and just ingratiating him into the babyface role for being a dad really isn't good for a babyface at times who's a natural heel. Good stuff, though, so I give it a push push as well um and it set up the uh no dq match that would take place on collision uh but it did its job of really highlighting how much the uh the dark house family wants to get back at sammy for leaving their mitts so there you yes. go next up my girl mariah may was in action hmm. she took on anna J. push or barry I give it a push. Look, these women are on, on equal footing at the end of the day. Although it sucks to have energy on a major losing streak, it helps put Mariah May to possibly dump Tony Storm at some point. Give it a push. I'm giving us a push bordering on a big push, and I don't foresee Mariah May dumping uh, Tony Storm. I see it the other way around, a Tony dumping Mariah, which could turn Mariah face. I've watched some of her indie matches. She does work well, much better as a heel, but she can work as a baby face. So uh, Mariah is very versatile. So even if, so if it comes to that point that Tony Storm decides to discard her, she can work as a baby face successfully. Okay, yeah. so I give this a push bordering on a big push. And finally, our main event after Jake Hager, out of all people, came to the aid of Orange Cassidy after the Mike Bennett matchup, he would take on the AEW International Championship challenger Roger Strong in our main event. Push or Barry? Look, given that Strong is challenging for the AW International title, this was the expected outcome. Having Hager's a babyface might work away from the JAS. I'm willing to give it time. Good main event. Give it a push. I'm also going to give this one a push bordering on a big push because it's very unique to see Jake Hager as a face. I'm so used to him yeah. being a heel and stuff so i'm interested to see how this goes i like the spot where orange threw in his purple hat and he suddenly like hulked up and shit. i thought that was a, that was a great spot that was yeah. a, honestly a great spot so i enjoyed it so uh give it a push boring on a big push and again no grades unfortunately yeah so we're gonna go straight to collision and we open with the no dq match between powerhouse hobbs and sammy guevara push or bury make this shit make sense no dq right but all the Cows family, Jericho and Sammy's friends, they're all banned from ringside. Might as well be your basic one-on-one -on -one match. Look, it was a fun brawl to open. I loved Hobbs using the ref to win. Push bordering on big push, mainly because that dumb rule in a no DQ bout. No, I'm going to give this a big push. I thought it was really good. A lot of violence. Uh, that tables, they had the broken like seven tables in this matchup. Yeah. Dead ass. But it was still really good. So I'm giving a big push. I don't care about the whole their band from ringside. I still want. I still like what I saw, so I'm giving it a big push. Uh, FCR coming off the time limit draw to the BCC decided they needed to get themselves uh, get themselves another win uh, a win back. So they decided to go after Shane Taylor Promotions. That's Lee Moriarty and Shane Taylor. Push or bury FCR versus Shane Taylor Promotions. Mm, good match, but can we get Shane and Lee more to do here? 
please. I, I don't ask for much. Good action overall. Good preview of what to expect next Sunday. Give it a push, bordering on a big push. Same push, bordering on a big push. Really loved it. Uh, FTR is just one of the best. They're one of the best tag teams in the world. Uh, Shane Taylor Promotions really on the come up and stuff like that. So I give it a big push, bordering on a big push. We got a rare matchup. We got a rare singles match from Malachi Black on this episode of Collision. We normally see him in multi-man matches, but we got a rare singles matchup, and it was him against Brian Keith. Push or bury Keith versus Black? Uh, big push. It was and the aftermath, Mal- by the way. And the aftermath, by the way. Yeah, give it all a big push. Look, it's good to have Malachi Black in singles action, and this match with Brian Keith allowed both guys to shine when time was allotted. Then the post-match, Mark Briscoe's got a lot of part, taking it to the House of Black. You know, really good story here. Give it all a big push. Yeah, also big push. And Mark Briscoe's going to go after the House of Black. He's definitely going to need some backup because it's clear that these these guys, they, they don't play fair. They don't play fair at all. All right, Lady Frost was in action. She took Lady mm. Frost was here. She took on the Professor Serena Deeb in women's action. Push or bury. Love those two women. This was a really good match, and it's good to have the prof- the Professor back in business again. Lady Frost does no pushover at all to that point. She looked good. Push boring on big push. Yeah, push boring on big push. This was the second women's match of the night. The other one was a squash from Thunder Rosa. Uh, but this was good to see a solid matchup between two very talented women with Deeb getting submission victory. Uh, and then our main event saw Brian Danielson in action taking on Japanese wrestling legend Jun Akiyama with Eddie Kingston at ringside for commentary. And then the, a post match that was absolutely chaotic. Push or bury our main events. Really good main event between these two gents and Kingston on commentary. Help more builds towards revolution. More matches like this, please. And thanks. And in the post match, oh, this is going to be wild. Good push over Raws. I love a good beat down angle that brings us to where we have a trios match this Wednesday night before the fucking pay per view. Give it all a big push. Yeah, big push bordering on a mega push. I mean, really good action between Danielson and Akiyama. Uh, Eddie being on commentary was really good. Then Brian Danielson showing respect to Akiyama, but then Akiyama seeing on the screen Danielson flipping off Eddie and saying, nah, we ain't doing that. And then Danielson saying, okay, I'm going to disrespect you then. And it led to that big brawl, and here we are. So uh, give it all a big a big push, boarding on a mega push. And then for the grades for a collision from our guy, Doc Chris Mueller, we yep. begin with Powerhouse Haas versus Sammy Guevara, no DQ, B+. I give it a B, but damn, that was a good fucking match. FTR versus Shane Taylor Promotions B. B, I agree. Thunder Rosa squash, and then the Bang Bang Scissor Game versus the Iron Savages. The squash got an incomplete. The Bang Bang Scissor Game versus the Iron Savages got a C plus. I gave uh, Rosa Lady Bird the squash a C minus. I gave the Trias match a C plus. Brian Keith versus Malachi Black got a B. B plus. Lady Frost versus Serena Deeb. It was originally supposed to be Kiara Hogan, uh, but Lady Frost was in there. You got a B. I give it a B. That was really good. Brian Danielson versus June Akiyama got a B plus. I agree. B plus. 
And then his no final word from Doc Chris Miller. So there you go. No final word. Jam. What's your final word, Sith? Okay. This wasn't the strongest episode of Collision, as honestly, Thunder Rosa was basically a utility worker this week, and Max forgot some of his rap, which sucked a bit because Caster's freestyles are hot. Um, however, this show was still a good one, although a step down from the last few weeks. I think, however, this was a good show that helped promote the pay-per-view next Sunday, oblique with some issues. Collision gets a B this week. Not a bad show, but one that felt like a downgrade of sorts from previous weeks. Right. Okay. And that is it for your weekend review for this week. Remember, we will be back on Saturday, uh, a day yeah. before Revolution, at which point we will be only we will be only talking about everything up until Rampage and then also making sure that we preview Revolution once the car has been finalized. So that'll be on Saturday. Make sure you stay tuned and make sure you pay attention to social media for any updates. Now it is time for final thoughts, the part of the show where we give our thoughts on things non-wrestling related or wrestling related and plug any upcoming podcast that we have coming up. So, of course, we start off things with the Dark Sith Lord from the regular basement. Sith, the floor is now yours. Thank you, champ. Hope everyone's had a good night and fun so far. Welcome to Final Thoughts. Okay, so recently TNA has gone through structural issues with the firing of Scott Demore, and honestly... I figured out something that's possibly not a good thing going forward in what is indeed the third major pro professional wrestling promotion. Look, go back in history, back to the year 2000, where WCW was an absolute disaster, and yet corporate hands having the final call of what ended up on TV and pay-per-view at the end of the day. You had a really bad showing for WCW at the end of the day, and we all know the aftermath of that at the end of the day. Here, TNA has hit a reset, and it appears that some of the talent aren't happy, and rightfully so. This week was actually the last week taped TNA impact-wise that had Scott Demore's input, as the tapings were in the game before he got fired. So now it's a gut check time for TNA. Steve Macklin's going to be a free agent in May for Fightful Select, and he was one of the names that got hosed in WWE. We all know his story. He was in the Forgotten Sun stable in NXT. And in a minute that a fucking idiot opened his mouth criticizing Black Lives Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter both he and Weston Blake got released while the fucking bigot got allowed to, allowed to stick around a little bit longer. Macklin's been on a tear in TNA Impact since then, coming in and really proving himself and distancing himself from the shit into the stick that was WWE for something that wasn't his doing. So he has a lot of options going forward. He could go to New Japan. He could go to AEW. He could possibly go back to WWE. He could stay in TNA. He could go to Mexico. The opportunities are endless and make a fucking career out of it because he's in the middle of a career resurgence. Now, Scott Gamora was still around. TNA wouldn't have to worry so much about people fleeing the exits when their contracts expire. Yes, Trinity was going to head back to WWE at some point. I think Vince leaving was a key indicator that Trinity was headed back sooner rather than later. I think that Deanna Peraza still goes to AEW because she'd hit a pinnacle of what she could do in TNA Impact, so there's that. However, with Demore out of TNA... You're going to have to deal with a lot of unhappy talent that are very upset with the 
exit of a boss that they liked and respected. The boss that was working on getting people into the WWE Royal Rumble and getting thus getting them into a larger spotlight. The boss who reportedly tried to get an increase in the budget overall so the product could look better and more talent could come in. This really hits a nail here at the end of the day. With no surrender in the can and some talent reportedly pissed off, I have to wonder what TNA will look like a year and a half, two years from now. And it's also a question of how the rest of this year unfolds at the end of the day, as you have a locker room that has to deal with a change of leadership that has no experience in pro wrestling, which makes things uncertain. I'm hopeful that things will smooth out, but I have a gut feeling that this is going to hurt TNA worse than when Dixie Carter had the people who were at the end of WCW in the fold. Those years were not good at all. Hopefully TNA gets back on the right foot sooner rather than later. And that, my friends, is my final thought. Now on Spotify, Leprechaun, Child's Blood, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Friday the 13th are all tearing to Barbara Quest. And so much more. That is Sith's basement right on Spotify. Right. That said, champ, I yield the floor. I don't really have a final thought this week except for... You know, I've been down the rabbit hole of rewatching Law and Order SVU, and I think that it's even more important to watch a show like that, given the climate of what's going on in the world of wrestling with these new allegations against Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis, and the WWE uh, in this lawsuit, uh, and all the uh, remembrances of the Speaking Out movement back in 2020. And this is a trigger warning for anybody who's listening. Sexual assault is a real thing. This is not some make-believe thing that's on movies and television shows. This is a real thing. And a show like Law & Order SVU really highlights the importance of awareness and being able to help those who suffer from this kind of trauma. Janelle Grant right now is, living, is speaking on something that has traumatized her for years. One of the things learned on the show SVU is that it's so hard for a victim of sexual assault to even come forward, let alone want to get in front of total strangers and tell their, that kind of story over and over and over again. But she had the courage to do so. She had the courage to file a 60 plus page lawsuit highlighting all of the things that were allegedly done to her by a man who thought he was untouchable. But what I'm also noticing outside of that is that there are a lot of people who are either hesitant to say which side of the fence they're on or others who are just not commenting on it. Triple H was asked about it at a press conference uh, after PLE and he totally did not, did not want to answer. Of course he didn't want to answer. That's his father-in-law. But then you have someone like John Cena, who despite the allegations, still says he loves Vince McMahon. Randy Orton went on both sides of the fence. He said he still loves McMahon because of the, the position he put him in uh, when he was a troubled, uh, in troubled wrestler, a young troubled wrestler. But he also was very saddened by, the, by those allegations. No matter what side of the fence you are, or no matter what side of the fence you are, 
these type of things are not okay. And if they turn out to be true, then you should be on the side of the fence where this man should be held responsible and accountable. Just as I learned watching SVU, this is not okay. And a lot of times it's harder to prove something like this than any other crime, but it's still there and it's still something that we should be aware of. So do me a favor. If you want to really learn more about the world of this type of trauma, how it affects victims, whether, even if it is just a TV show, if you have Peacock, which most of you should have because you watch PLEs on there, Start watching Law & Order SVU, and then you'll learn why this lawsuit by Janelle Grant was a big show of courage by her. And that, my friends, is my final thought. All right, I will be making my weekly appearance on Sports on the Hill podcast on Monday. At, at uh, I will be on around 10 p.m. We'll be talking wrestling with, with Robbie and things of that nature. So we'll get ready to hear some more wrestling talk with me uh, on there on Monday. As a programming note, we will once again be back with the weekly wrestling podcast on Saturday. Uh, that's Saturday, the day before Revolution, to preview Revolution, as well as look at all the go-home shows for Revolution, which is Rampage and Dynamite, uh, plus more Fallout from Elimination Chamber on Raw and SmackDown, uh, continue building to Roadblock on NXT, and the Fallout from No Surrender on TNA on Access TV. And with that... We hope that you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, make sure you check us out on social media, facebook.com slash nospotspod, twitter.com slash truenospotspod, twitch.tv slash truenospotspod, and tiktok.com slash at truenospotspod. And with that, you can also check out Sith on, on Twitter and on TikTok at truesithdan74. Really quickly from Hector in our Twitch chat, uh, I would add that Adding to that, the regular law and order, since they go more to the just the judicial side of things, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you can learn a lot from these shows, even though they're dramas. They, they you can still learn a lot from them. So you know, go on Peacock, binge binge a couple seasons. I'm telling you, you'll, you'll learn a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm already on. I'm on season twenty. I'm about to be on season twenty one of SVU. Nice. So there you go. Anyway. We thank you for joining us. Thank you, Hector, for being here. Thank you, Teretic. Thank you, Alex. Uh, thank you to Coley, who was here earlier. She's now, now logged off. But we appreciate everybody who's here for the live stream. We appreciate everybody who's listening. And we will see you guys on Saturday. Peace out. Hey, guys, it's Champ here. We hope you enjoyed that episode of No Spots Podcast. If you did, make sure you are following us so you can be notified when we upload new episodes. And make sure you follow us on all social media platforms, facebook.com slash nospotspod, as well as on Twitter, at truenospotspod. We will catch you on the next episode, myself, Donnie Wrestling, and The Sith, for the No Spots Podcast on the True Radio Network.